Today on The Topping Show, Vivek Ramaswamy is the highlight of the GOP debate, while at the same time, Trump and Tucker Carlson have an interview that gets over 200 million views. The Republican domination betting statistics after the debate, Vivek Ramaswamy tells the story of buying his first gun and why he owns a gun. Bud Light NFL tweet is quickly ratioed within hours. Bud Light won't apologize, but they're going to give you free junk you don't need. 327 people caused one-third of the crime in New York City. Peloton stock crashes 28% in one day. Dick's Sporting Goods begins layoffs. Ford Union votes yes for a strike. Kohl's exceeds profit estimates. And Boeing finds yet another defect in their 737 MAX. All of that and much, much more on The Topping Show. Thank you everyone for taking the time to tune in today. Today's episode of The Topping Show is sponsored by Topping Technologies. Topping Technologies is an IT value-added reseller and services company with a special proficiency in IT security. Heck, I see their founder at least twice a day. Have to say he's quite handsome and brilliant. He's me, that, that's a joke. If you're an IT leader or a business owner, you can reach the team at sales at toppingtechnologies.com. Also, we're giving away a free flamethrower with every August purchase. Click the description for further details. And yes, you can mount it to an AR-15. Now, going over to the business part of the podcast, we have Peloton stock crashing 28.54% in one day. Now, this is subsequently because they just reported their Q4 earnings, and of course, they were lackluster and disappointed pretty much everyone on Wall Street. Now, this also coincided with even worse news. They have their recall that affects every Gen 1 Peloton cycle ever sold because it was an issue with the seat. Perhaps they underestimated how morbidly obese most Americans are these days, or they just do some cheap welding techniques, but they're giving everyone a free replacement. They claim that only you know, a couple of people are injured, but they're also recommending, oh yeah, you should probably, they recommend you keep paying for your subscription as you're not supposed to use the bike and they'll mail you that seat so you can repair it. So needless to say, it's not good for the brand and to have that much of a stock drop, to me, my three cents, again, I know it should be two cents, but 40 year hyperinflation, I gotta charge a little bit more, though it is still free to click that subscribe button. The Really, the saving grace of Peloton is going to be the pre-core treadmill. That whole bit, that company always makes the top commercial line treadmills, and they have a lot of contracts that help keep them in business, including with a lot of the major gyms. Where if you own a gym, you want to have a product that's going to be commercial grade, but also it's going to last damn near forever with proper maintenance, so you get the best ROI. Because every minute it's down, it's costing your company money with lost opportunity. So I'll be interested to see, depending on how much Peloton struggles, maybe they either spin off that again or you know have an IPO with that like with Precore. Because that's a very valuable brand and they have some great products as well. So I'll be interested to see where they go from here. But thankfully, uh, I'm no financial analyst, uh, advisor. But yeah, I'm glad I did not purchase that stock. But that's just me. Other interesting business news, you have Dick's Sporting Goods beginning their layoffs. Well... Who would have thought if you have unprecedented crime, you don't prosecute, profits go down? Well, golly gee, who would have saw that coming? Well, turns out anyone with a modicum of intelligence, which nowadays, yeah, I guess that's not too many, unfortunately. Now, this is directly from their CFO, and Navib Gouda said, quote, the biggest impact in terms of the surprise for the second quarter primarily came from shrink. Which, again, that's the phenomenon in retail in which you have products stolen not just by you know, individuals, or you have a regular person comes to the store, well, I should say instead of a regular person, a morally vacuous asshole goes to the store and steals things. You also have theft by employee, and then you have organized theft, where it's an organized group of uh, individuals going to the store. So those are the three main categories, but it's a huge issue in retail, 
And guess even worse when they don't stop it. You are actively encouraging it because you literally won't do anything. A phenomenon I was astonished when I, one of my first jobs was a, um, a bagger at a grocery store. And during our training, we were told, oh yeah, if you see someone stealing, even if you see them, take the item off the shelf and put it in their pocket, you're supposed to do nothing. Because I also blame the insurance companies. Because insurance companies with their big statistics sheets have determined there's more risk if you try to intervene, someone can get hurt, then they sue people. So actually maybe we should blame the lawyers. But from a cultural perspective, it's a terrible thing because again, it's making the problem worse. Will these businesses learn? That's what I'm skeptical of. Now, Dix has no sympathy for me personally because I believe in you know the United States and the Bill of Rights. And a couple years back after the Sandy Hook massacre, I believe, Dix actually prominently, proudly destroyed $5 million of black rifles. And personally, I believe all rifles are equal, though some are more fun to play with than others, certainly. But because they're black AR-15 rifles, which again, we've had semi-automatic rifles for over 100 years, they, they decided they're gonna destroy them. And subsequently, they stopped carrying them from stores. People should also be, in terms of if you're authentically, maybe you hate guns, you should not like them either because they own a subsidiary called Field and Stream, which is a separate business, a separate brick and mortar, sometimes they're actually connected, that company, they do carry AR-15s. So they're trying to play little, um, some people call it, you know, being two-faced or being a charlatan. They're basically trying to get the best of both markets. The people who hate guns and appreciate their virtue signaling and the people who hunt or they just want to defend their family and have some fun, they might go to the field and stream and buy it there. So there's a little, from a little bit that uh, irks me is a lack of authenticity from this company as well. Also, they never had that great of a selection in terms of the firearms department as well. I've heard companies actually believe in you know values and morals. Shields, infinitely better, headquartered, I believe, out of North Dakota. They actually have statues of the founding fathers on site, as well as veterans to show their loyalty and where their beliefs actually stand. But I partially digress. Going back into the CFO's statements, they were saying that, quote, we are conducting a business optimization for our organization to better align our talent, organizational design, and and spending in support of our most critical strategies while also streamlining our overall cost structures. Wow, that was a very political statement. Now they claim to say, quote, as streamlining, or sorry, as part of our review, we've eliminated certain positions primarily at our customer support call center on August 21st, 2023. So unfortunately it looks like, so fortunately for the frontline workers who are actually at the stores, it won't affect them, unfortunately, it sounds like a lot of the people being hurt in terms of job loss are gonna be the people working at the sports centers, which is another thing that's very difficult in the United States to have on-prem, or I say on-prem, US-based customer support because it does cost infinitely more than other countries, which we can blame for a myriad of reasons, including anti-competitive minimum wage laws and global economy. But yeah, it's during this time where you got all these people struggling to make a living and they because of the people in charge, again, they their sales went up by three, 3 3.1 or 3.6% for the fiscal quarter, but the profits are just evaporated because there's so much theft. I have a great, not original idea. Put an armed Marine in front of that store. Stop the crime. Employs veterans, stops crime. Sounds like a win-win to me, but this company's headquarters live over in Pennsylvania, which I guess that's kind of a swing state, kind of goes back and forth, but It'll be interesting to see how much, let me know in the comments, how much theft has to happen if these companies wake up and realize we have to start changing this approach because every day it's getting worse. Target alone is on track to lose $400 million in theft this year. That's an astronomical amount of theft. 
So I know this is also a cultural issue, but from the business side of things, change your policies, change your procedures, do something to address the problem. Will they? Probably not, but time shall tell. Other interesting business news, you have Ford, the union. They're voting yes for a strike. Now, this specific union is the one in Louisville. They voted 99% for the strike. This is union local number 862. This is according to the union president, Todd Dunn. Now, granted, this doesn't mean 100% there's going to be a strike, but rather it shows that the union is overwhelmingly in favor of a strike. And this is, again, particularly concerning if you're a shareholder or just a consumer who wants to try to buy a Ford, especially concerning because their current labor contracts, they're expiring in three weeks. So the big three, again, the American automobile companies that are handicapped by the UAW, also known as the United Auto Workers, the union for the industry, they're in a lot of trouble. All these companies, the unions are, well, there are many issues with them, but one of the issues is they're noticing that right now, some of these companies are making some profits. And of course, like the unions, they want all the profits. And someone should have a sit down, come to Jesus moment with them, could tell them, we need to reinvest pretty much all this cash back into the company. Because GM especially, I most of my background terms, my having been an automotive enthusiast and following from a business perspective comes from GM just because they used to make the best cars in history when it comes to, you know, the American Muscle, the Camaro, and the Chevrolet Corvette, which used to be three pedals, also known as manual, tra manual transmission, the best thing invented since sliced bread. Although, perhaps invented before sliced bread, so maybe we should reverse that saying. But although, subsequently, they've turned it into a soulless machine that's going to be an E, it's going to be an electric vehicle for a Corvette, and it's also going it, to, now it's only automatic. They're thereby completely giving a middle finger to 20% of the market that used to purchase Corvettes with a stick shift, but I partially digress. It's also disgustingly unaffordable, thanks to GM. It used to be an affordable sports car, but I digress. In terms of GM, Mary Barr, the CEO, she's very adamant. She wants to be 100% EV for Cadillac by 2030, 100% for the whole company EV by 2035, which sounds like a lot of time, but in business new and like in business talk, that'll be just a couple fiscal quarters before you know it. Because it takes a lot of, not just engineering, research, and development, but it takes a lot of R&D, a lot of physical changes, setting up new factories to retool your whole company, basically. This is much, much more difficult than coming out with a, a Chevy Cruze, which used to be a car they make. To come out with a new subcompact, that's moderately simple. They've done that for over 100 years. You just have, you know, new body panels, newer engine, but it's all about the same. Going EV, that's a whole new drivetrain. It's also a whole new set of jobs. Some will be lost, some will be gained. That's another contention that UAW has. So the UAW, again, the Chrysler division or the Chrysler group, which is now known as Stellantis, owned by overseas, but that particular union is actually pushing for the pension to be reinstated, which they did um, give up, I believe, during the 2008 bankruptcy between General Motors and Chrysler. And this is not good news, because right now, it'd be interesting, again, I'm glad, I don't know what it's going to do. Ford stock is a participant. It's usually pretty durable in terms of moderately reliable. They pay dividends. Now, thank thank God the Ford family is still in charge. So another interesting thing when you look at you know the Series A for Series B and different types of stocks, it's publicly traded. The family doesn't own a majority of the publicly traded stock, but they own most of the private. So that's how they still have influence to this day. But during this precipitous, un, during this very unprecedented time of uncertainty you're having relations with the union where they could quite literally cripple the business overnight. Bring it to a standstill, literally. 
And again, it's we're getting to the point where I don't think it's I can't conceivably see how the union will ever help GM or help these companies out when they're increasing the cost of goods sold, they're decreasing the quality of the vehicles, not just, you know, again, I know engineering and the quality of the parts as well, but it's not I don't think it's a coincidence that the most reliable vehicles ever made in history were all made by Japanese automotive companies. Look at the Toyota Corolla. That's the best-selling car in history by volume of units sold. It's also a car that will consistently last a quarter of a century and a million miles. Now, that's also thanks to the good reliability of the internal combustion engine. Another reason I'm worried or I'm concerned about people who can't afford EVs and people can't afford disposable cars being forced to buy EVs. The topic in and of itself for another time. But, yeah, Toyota, they make the best cars for liability. They don't have a union. Honda, again, they don't have a union. Tesla, the companies that are growing really damn quick and doing quite well, it's because, partially because they have a lower cost of labor. It's also a cultural thing as well. You have the whole Kaizen with a Toyota as well. They want to constantly improve things. But, but let me know in the comments, do you think there'll be a strike? And if so, how much is that going to crater for its stock and their outlook? That's going to be one of the biggest concerns. We'll see how Jim Farley, the uh, current CEO of General Motors, handles the situation. Now, other interesting business news, you have Kohl's. They exceeded the profit estimates from Wall Street. So that's astronomical because, again, I don't know who anyone who actually spends money on clothing. Like, I can't imagine going out and buying clothing regularly unless you're a teenager and you're growing or a child. Personally, I like to buy, you know, one good suit, make it last a lifetime. I think this is, shoot, seven years old? Still perfect. But it looks like they attributed to their increased profits to a better leaner inventory system, as well as lowering the costs, as well as having fewer discounts all while trying to combat the slower retail environment where on average people are spending less on retail and frivolous items or I believe they call them discretionary items is actually the official term for it. Think of things that everything pretty much that isn't food and water, things that aren't staples that they actually need. Those are the types of vehicles that or types of vehicles, <laughs> the types of things that people are pulling back and spending on. Now it looks like the company did earn 52 cents per share in the second quarter, which ended you know fiscally July 29th. And it was above the analysts expecting only 22 cents per share. So Again, one of the best things you can do ever in terms of analysts to make Wall Street happy is completely blowing off the doors for the expectations. And that's pretty damn good to do. Now, in terms of the CEO, they said, quote, many of our strategic efforts are just underway, which we expect will contribute incrementally in, this, in the back half of the year and even more in 2024 and beyond. Which does sound pretty accurate. In terms of fiscal sales, most companies thrive Q3, Q4, or fiscal quarter three, quarter four which is more often than not the same as a calendar year. So it makes sense their sales will probably increase as well as people, for some reasons, keep buying more clothing for some reasons, even though they're not growing. Interesting. So I don't know, it looks like Kohl's might have a fighting chance while many other retailers are going out of business and many of them are barely hanging on. It'll be interesting to see. But I always say, time shall tell. Now, going on to the culture part of the podcast, you have Bud Light. Again, try to tweet, and the bird, or in this case, just the X, just falls down. Or a more apt metaphor might be, it's at the end of the outfit still. Something like that. So they try to do a little tweet where they talk about NFL Sunday, which, again, football season and sun, you know, Sunday footballs, Americans love the sports balls. There used to be a huge sales mechanism for these alcohol companies, and Bud Light in particular, because apparently you can't enjoy, well, now that I think about it, sports balls, games would probably only be, many of them would only be enjoyable or tolerable if you're quite inebriated. So perhaps it makes sense. Now, this is a commercial they put out and within five hours, it was already getting ratioed. Well, within minutes, but the statistics I took today for the show, it was taken five hours after it. 
Now, it looks like, go ahead and play this right now. So you get a nice little a tavern in the middle of rural America, which ironically is the part, is the demographic they pissed off the most, and many would say they alienated them completely, and they're not going to get those folks back. Oh, Steelers, ooh. Now, apparently, now, this might make sense for the average Bud Light drinker. So this is a couple sitting at a coffee shop in the morning, presumably, and they're drinking coffee, and instead, the waiter is actually going by and replacing their coffee, the, you know, cups of coffee, with bottles of Bud Light, which, I don't know how sad your life would... I mean, morning drinking is something I thought you did in college when you had a lot of time on your hands. I can't imagine being an adult or pretty much anyone over 23 years old and drinking in the morning. And I don't know how sad your life would have to be to drink a Bud Light in the morning. That's, it's, it almost looks like a commercial for antidepressants. Like if, you're, if your life is like this, you probably need to call this big pharma company. Carry, a farm. They're opening the cans. It looks like the Bud Light has a graffiti on it. I think it's a logo for the Saints. Why did someone at, they're at a bar but the TV wasn't already on and they just celebrated them turning on a TV. How irresponsible is that bar owner where they didn't turn on the TV when they first get in the bar? I mean, that's bar prep 101. You get the place ready for business, but perhaps the least important detail about this. Someone wearing a Chicago Bears jersey, I think. <laughs> They'll be good next year is a cliche. Kind of like the city of Chicago. They'll be good next year. They won't. A lot of fat, drunken people doing the cliche celebration that someone made a point at with a sports ball. On a Sunday. Celebrating. They're all happy because their sports ball team won. And it says, easy to Sunday. Easy to enjoy. Is that false advertisement? Last time I checked, it tastes like piss water. Granted, my sample size is relatively small. I've probably had one about... 10, 15 years ago? How discriminatory. They, they showed, the commercial didn't have a single, single pride flag or trans community flag. Will they be boycotted again? Because again, the dumb thing about Bud Light, they used to be a product that everyone could enjoy. And then they decided to choose Dylan Mulvaney and you know, pretty much piss off everyone. So you have people on the right who are angry, people in the middle who are confused, a little angry, and people on the left because and they said this, quote unquote, they didn't stand by Dylan Mulvaney. They started to boycott the brand as well. Famously, a bar in Chicagoland, which there's about gay bars apparently there. Well, not apparently, not coincidentally, but there's a holding company where there's an establishment owner where they own four bars. And they said, because they didn't stand by Dylan, they're canceling the carrying of all Anheuser Bush InBev products. That wasn't the only instance. There's a couple in Minnesota, as well as Los Angeles. And it was a trend. So, because Bud Light was so indecisive and they did nothing, they shot themselves in the foot yet again. So, will this commercial change your perception of the brand? No, it doesn't change my perception at all. 
Now, looks like within the first five hours of it being posted, there's 550,000 views. So quite a good sample size. It's about, you know, a little more than half a million folks. And 527 people liked it. That's it. That equals 0.09% like ratio, which is also known as trash. I can't imagine. So that means even the people who work at Bud Light aren't actually tweeting for them. I can't help but notice even your employees don't support the company, perhaps. Oh, what employees are left. Now, interestingly enough, there were a couple tweets that were positive to it. However, they're all garbage. And when I say garbage, I mean, they're not real. So I looked at them. We have one from, it looks like this was a positive post from someone by the name of Aaron. And I looked at his profile. All he does is just repost for every business possible, including Budweiser and the other account, which again, they're both brands of Anheuser-Busch and Bev, but he just reposts for the other companies. Same with Kelly, another account, and they wrote posted for two companies in particular. One was Bud Light, Anheuser-Busch and Bev, and as well as a company called, or a handle on Twitter, Twitter called Millions. So they're literally just retweets. They're not authentic thoughts. There was one original company. Well, I was going to say, I don't know. I don't know how moronic this was, but the Philadelphia Eagles, the Mark Wahlberg team, they responded to the post saying, cheers to that. Now that got 5,443 views and how many? 26 likes, which is terrible. There's like, aren't there more than 26 players on the Eagles team? And that is a ratio of 0.47%, also known as awful. But again, I don't know the demographics about the Philadelphia Eagles, but I wouldn't think they would be in favor of the decisions Bud Light was making. It almost seems like career suicide for that team to do this type of endorsement. Now, granted, I know these teams also have million multi-million dollar contracts with these companies for the stadiums and you have the franchises, all the sponsorships. But I don't know why they I don't know why they would voluntarily tweet that because I don't see how that's ever going to increase the brand sentiment or really change anyone's mind. Now, it looks like one of the interesting tweets, of course, these are the ones that were actually followed and liked were all, you know, negative. So it was subsequently ratioed. Now the first one was from Rich Mooney, who's, he, he is really consistent with his polls. So he went on there, his response to the Bud Light tweet, he said, what are you gonna buy for your fridge? Uh, he usually does that. That got 149 votes. Again, all these statistics are within the first five hours of posting. And that got 149 votes with 91.3 saying, no hands for Bush and Bud for me. So only 8.7% 8 of the people polled said that they would make mine a Bud Light. So it is going up, I believe last week, or actually it's been a little while since they tweeted, it was more closer to like 3%. So the ratio is getting a little bit better. Now, another one was a tweet response by the name of Mute Toggle, in which he posted a Twitter, Dill Mulvaney drinking a Bud Light, and his quote was him saying, Bud Light is great for drag parties and events, but may not be the beer of the choice for the NFL Sunday LMFAO which according to the Urban Dictionary means laugh my effing ass off. Learning today. Now, that got 3,379 views and 99 likes, giving it a ratio of 2.72%, which was the best of all the responses. So, again, I don't know what Bella is gonna do to turn this ship around, but just posting on social media isn't helping. Even though it seems like they're buying some tweets to get some positive responses, but they're not real people. They're 
people who have a career or just are, they're either a bot who just reposts for companies or their career is just doing that and getting paid for it. I can't imagine just a random fan of Bud Light doing that. So it certainly doesn't feel authentic, but it'll be interesting to see how their social media skills improve from here. And at this point, it almost seems like they seem they need professional help. Get any good marketing company to go take in and take over your social media because they're not doing great. And I don't see them change that anytime soon. Now, other interesting culture news, you have a phenomenon in New York City where 327 people cause one third of the crime. And of course, the city does nothing to stop it because you get what you vote for. Now, this is specifically, the chief police actually blame specifically the policies, the quote unquote reckless policies in which they have to stand by. Now, you think, you know, how many, you know, you've got 327 deplorable, morally, morally vacuous people who are shoplifting. And I wonder how many of them are arrested more than once. Well, collectively, the suspects were arrested and rearrested more than 6,000 times. This is according to police commissioner Keechit Sewell, according to an interview he did with the Times. Now, it looks like 18 department stores and seven chain pharmacy locations accounted for 20% of all complaints. And over the past five years, shoplifting complaints have nearly doubled, peaking at nearly 64,000 cases last year. And only 34% resulted in arrests last year, compared to 60% in 2017. So the percentage of arrests are going, the number of, number of issues are increasing, the number of illegal activities are increasing, but they're arresting less people. Who would have thought this would make the situation worse? I mean, oh wait, anyone with more than, you know, eight a modicum of intelligence? And yet, they seem to just keep doubling down on this insane asinine policy. And they also noted in two, since 2019, there's a 53% in increase on theft of items valued less than $1,000 at major commercial locations. Now, interestingly enough, this is in New York. This is actually encouraged in California where they changed it from a felony to, I believe, a misdemeanor to, uh, according to one of the props that they voted on, which again, you voted on it, you got what you wanted. So it was at under $950 in California. They basically don't prosecute it because instead of a felony, it's a misdemeanor and it gets, the DAs just don't do anything, which is what they're paid for in some cases. So it'll be interesting to see, does New York, what would it take for, how far down will New York have to get? They already lost, earlier this week, they lost a trillion dollars in private equity or in investment firms moving mostly to Florida. I wonder why. Well, not really. It's pretty self-evident. People like places that are safe and have a lower cost of living. Also, no income tax is pretty nice. And New York likes, like many states, New York likes to uh, take your money. In addition to the federal government taking 40% as if that isn't enough. But I partially digress for now. Other interesting culture news you have, but like, they, they're not going to apologize. They, 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 they certainly made a mistake, but like a bad ex-boyfriend or ex-husband, they're going to try to buy your love back. So yet again, they're going to try to give you free crap you don't need, which would actually be a good web domain for them because you don't need any of that, what do you call it, swamp water? Trying to think of a pejorative term enough for Bud Light. You really don't, there's nothing. I suppose you could use it as a structural component if you're building a, a, a ditch or something. I'm trying to think of a, what, what would be a good use of their product. But nevertheless, it looks like after losing 30% of their market share and not only losing the best-selling beer of the month in the United States, but losing the best-selling beer of the year in the United States, handing over the crown to Modelo, which ironically, I believe they call the king of the beers, or is that Bud Weiser? Nevertheless, they suck. So they lost 30% of their sales in the market share, and they're getting ratioed with every tweet, every social media attempt they try is just 
falls flat on their face. But they know can't, they can't really give you a real apology because if they do, they further alienate people who are politically, again, this has become a political issue in the United States. They're going to alienate people who are more on the left side of the political aisle. And the I was going to say the protests, some turn into riots, but that community, they're very vocal and they're very efficient at boycotting as well. So the boycott would get worse for them. So they are stuck between a rock and a hard place. And of course, the CEO is very much being a politician because depending on what he says, he's going to piss off a lot of people. At this point, I almost don't think there's anything he could say to make the situation better. Let me know if you think they're any different, but they're, they're kind of stuck. So what could they possibly do? They know they're going to give away free piss water or free beer and NFL typically. So you have to give up your email address. So they're, they're data harvesting as well, which helps them from a business perspective because a lot of companies, not only do they monetize that for their internal use, but they'll actually sell it to third parties, which is a morally gray area, depending on how transparent you are with the original person who's signing up for the email. So it is still beneficial to the company. Don't get me wrong. They're not being, this isn't a completely out of self-sacrifice. Now they're saying if you sign up, you're going to get, you know, they get your free email address or you get your email address and they're going to be entered in a chance to win an NFL su ticket subscription and some gift cards and I guess some piss water, which again, they're trying to go after the NFL market. That used to be a place or, you know, events that would drive their sales very heavily. It'll be interesting to see how much of that particular segment of the market were, how many of them felt alienated and participated in the boycott and will not change and buy the beer again. And how many people are just kind of in the middle wondering, hey, I might win a free beer or I might win a free NFL ticket subscriptions, which again, I think, does that just mean you get a free YouTube premium account? How, dis how disappointing would that be? You'll even get, because the article I read, it said, it's, it said NFL Sunday subscriptions, ticket subscriptions. So maybe it's a real ticket, but you also have YouTube and a couple other streaming platforms where they have exclusive deals. But nevertheless, I digress. It'll be interesting to see how people actually sign up for this and how many people, how many people are really going to forgive them for, because a lot of people, they feel alienated. And I just can't help but wonder how, how long is it going to take for them to recover? At this point, I don't think they ever will. Maybe they'll get one or 2% of their sales back. Well, it'll be interesting to see, but I would say, Time shall tell. Now, going over to the political part of the podcast, you have the GOP debate. Now, this is a fascinating phenomenon. So we're going to actually cover, I have a couple of clips that we're going to cover today. We're going to cover the highlights from Vivek since he seemed to be the one that got the most traction to the debate. And subsequently, we're also going to cover the Tucker Carlson interview with Donald Trump. Now, interestingly enough, Trump, for the GOP debate, Trump chose to not participate, which we'll get into later diving more into that topic during that interview. But for this one, we have a highlight reel from Vivek and he was certainly the most energetic candidate on the stage. And it'll be interesting to see what his long-term plan is. But I think he resonated with a lot of the crowd, especially in the beginning it is fascinating more towards the end. It seems like they shifted a little bit and then the whole stage basically turned on him because from a certain perspective, he is certainly an outsider. He's not a career politician, which I think many, do, many people do appreciate. I mean, there's a lot of people who have been in politics for 50 years and I'd love to, I'd love to sit them down and be like, almost like a job interview, be like, so uh, what have you done for America? Well, can you n name me one or two bullet points where you actually did something? And you probably get a really long, awkward pause because a lot of people on the left and the right kind of just sit there and don't do much. But that's just my three cents. It used to be two cents, but 50, you know, 40 year hyperinflation, gotta go three. I should charge four cents, but three cents it is for my thoughts. It, 
is still free though, just to click that subscribe button. Again, trying to get to 3,000 subscribers by the end of August, greatly appreciate your assistance. So without further ado, we're gonna go ahead and dive into Vivek's participation in the GOP debate. It's gonna take an outsider because for a long time we have professional politicians in the Republican party who have been running from something. Now is our moment to start running to something. Drill, frack, burn coal, embrace nuclear. Put people back to work. The only war that I will declare as U.S. President will be the war on the federal administrative state that is the source of those toxic regulations acting like a wet blanket on the economy. Listen, now that everybody's gotten their memorized, pre-prepared slogans out of the way, we can actually have a real discussion now. The, the, the reality and the fact of the matter... That is one of my favorite comments he made last uh, couple nights ago. It's one of those things where... A lot of politicians, this is for left, right, even libertarian candidates sometimes, they're kind of just a, kind of like a, not a speaking spell, like one of those toy dolls where you pull the string, perhaps a good metaphor in and of itself, but they just kind of say the same cliche things like, we're going to get people back to work. It's like, well, great. That's a very, that's one of the most neutral statements you could possibly make. No one's going to say no to that. Do you have a plan for that? Well, they usually don't elaborate, but I digress. Actually, we're just gonna have some fun tonight. Do you want a super pack puppet, or do you want a patriot who speaks the truth? Do you want incremental reform, which is what you're hearing about? Or do now, when he says super pack puppet, that that was I was a little confused with that one because technically, in terms of the regulations and what I understand from the operation of a super pack is, you have a lot of these super packs where they'll pay for campaigns for candidates, and you'll see them on the commercial disclaimer like this is super pack, you know, paid for by the super pack for this candidate. The candidate. Again, from the legality that I understood when the whole legality around the topic changed, they're not supposed to have any inf direct influence. So the candidate isn't supposed to be telling the super PAC what to do or right direction to do. So, and vice versa, they're not supposed to be telling the candidate what to do. So again, with my current understanding, I thought they're supposed to be separate. Now, perhaps his intention was saying these people have a lot of influence because people do directly donate to many of these candidates as well, but it's interesting to bring up the super PAC issue because I think that there might be a disconnect there. Do you want revolution? Let us be honest as Republicans. I'm the only person on the stage who isn't bought and paid for, so I can say this. The climate change oh, agenda whoa, 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 is a hoax. The climate change agenda is a hoax. <laughs> that pissed off everyone. And the reality is, the anti-carbon agenda is the wet blanket on our economy. Yes, we will stand for the rule of law. Yes, we will close the southern border where criminals are coming in every day. And yes, we will back law enforcement because we remember who we really are. And that's also how we address that mental health epidemic in the next generation that is directly leading to violent crime. We live in a dark moment and we have to confront the fact that we're in an internal sort of cold cultural civil you war. Are and we have to recognize the American people with a failed win. government in Washington, D.C. We just need government as good as our people again. Let's just speak the truth, okay? President Trump, I believe, was the best president of the 21st century. It's a fact. And Chris Christie... Now, from a move on the political chessboard, I think it's fairly smart for him to do this because, again, he needs those votes to come to him. My speculation is he could become president. Again, there's a lot of uncertainty, and the election is still a long ways away, but... If Trump is officially, if he is imprisoned, or if they take him off the ballot using some type of legal methodology, more either legal or not, or they, or they just take him off the ballot, then Vivek's going to need those. And there are a lot of people who love Trump. He has a huge incumbent base who will support him. So that's why I think if you want to become the Republican nominee, it's going to be very difficult if you're doing that 
while attacking Trump because so many will feel personally attacked. It's, it's a very unusual time in the United States where people are starting to self-identify with politicians where actually, I always tell people, don't worship politicians, left or right, live your own life. But they're like identifying with them. It's, I don't think it's a healthy thing to ever do with politicians or celebrities. But I think it is clever for him to keep this approach. And it, it also keeps him different from the other candidates. The other candidates, some of them are more very directly in their, they're more direct in their opposition to Trump, and they, some of them are even using it as a campaign tool to attack him. Honest to God, your claim that Donald Trump is motivated by vengeance and grievance would be a lot more credible if your entire campaign were not based on vengeance and grievance against one man. And that is him dissing uh, former New, Jer New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, who, yeah, a big part, big moderately, pun moderately intended, he's a big guy, but part of his campaign is he is very viciously, he is a never Trumper, which again, there are some people in the Republican party who are in that, they're in that sphere. So he'll, Chris Christie will get those votes. But the question is, has that part of the political party expanded enough for to get the nominee just based on that attack vector alone? And right now I would say no, because again, with the current data we have with the past couple of polls we've had, Chris Christie is not doing that great. He's still, I believe in the single digits in terms of the percentages. I mean, we've only given them over a hundred billion dollars in cash, as well as physical, tangible assets, such as military hardware, as well as some humanitarian aid. Over a hundred billion dollars. We can't afford to help out Hawaii, but yeah, a country that most Americans can't point to on a map or have never even bid to, they're getting hundreds of billions. I think that's a lot. That's probably perhaps one of the biggest reasons a lot of Americans feel like, you know, Washington D.C. doesn't give a damn about them. Again, left and right, they're not helping people right in the back door. Right, you know, right, right here, you got problems you can fix. But no, they'd rather give hundreds of billions of dollars to countries halfway across the globe that, again, would never help us out. Picking up the votes for people who believe in the border. Good political move, I'd say. The real threat we face today is communist China. The Russia-China military alliance is the single greatest threat we face. Okay. Nobody in either political party is talking well, about it. And I am the, I am the only non-neocon on this stage. Mr. Vice President, we can't hear Mr. Vice President, to give Russia Mr. Vice President God. So the reality is that today, today, Ukraine is not a priority for the United States of America. And I 
think that the same people who took us into the Iraq War, the same people who took us into the Vietnam War, you cannot end it, you cannot start another no-win war. And I do not want to get to the point where we're sending our military resources abroad when we could be better using them here at home to protect our own borders, protect the homeland. All right. That will be my top priority for the policy. I think we gave you more than, than the 30 seconds in the rebound. So I do want to get to some other Governor, I wish you well in your future career on the boards of Lockheed and Raytheon. <laughs> So that was him going against Nikki Haley, where she was subsequently saying that she's pro um, foreign country inter intervening in terms of foreign policy. She's more pro-war. And he just named the largest defense contractors in the world, Lockheed Martin and Raytheon, who Lockheed makes a lot of the vehicles for the military. And then Raytheon is best known for the military, uh, for the manufacturing behind the missiles that they produce. And it is interesting, many politicians they kind of go back and forth between being on the board and vice versa. And again, this is, of course, later in the debate, the crowd did seem to turn on him. Well, that is... And it is... the FBI, the ATF, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, the IRS, the Department of Commerce, many of these should not exist. That's correct. Education. He just won a lot of libertarian candidates right there. Again, most libertarian, or um, not libertarian candidates, libertarian voters right there. Because again, a lot of them feel that where the hell is that in the Constitution to take wire, you know, to confiscate guns or make laws around that. And why are you killing dogs? Well, ATF, why are you killing all the dogs by protocol? Since you have a, is, is that like a, uh, is, that, is that like a deep desire of yours or do you just, does that make you happy it's quite dark but look up stories about like ruby ridge and uh waco you'll you're interested to see how the atf acted uh with those poor souls it starts with the family and the nuclear family is the greatest form of governance known to mankind based I believe in the people of this country to tell the difference between somebody who's an automaton and somebody who's actually a thinking agent in the White House, which we don't have in there today. I think we do need somebody of a different generation to lead this nation forward. I think he's the only one under 80 years old. I'm joking. There's a couple of those guys, I think, in their 40s and 50s. But Vivek is, in terms of politicians, a young sprung. I believe he's 38. But again, mostly politicians are also in their 70s and 80s, 90s in some cases. So, that could be a good selling point. We have an opportunity to build a multi-ethnic, working-class majority to deliver a landslide, and I think I'm the only candidate in this race, young or old, black or white, to bring all of those voters along to deliver a Reagan 1980 revolution. Same. We're going to do it in 2024. Same question. I was born in 1985, and I grew up into a generation where we were taught to celebrate our diversity and our differences so much that we forgot all of the ways we are really just the same as Americans, bound by a common set of ideals that set this nation into motion in 1776. And this is our moment to revive those common ideals. 
I would say that's a good issue to also attack in terms of this big cultural issue in the United States. When's the last time you actually saw public schools with the American flag where they actually say the pledge? It seems to be something unfortunately is just vanishing more and more and subsequently replaced by political ideologies. God is real. There are two genders. Fossil fuels are a requirement for human prosperity. Reverse racism is racism. An open border is not a border. Parents determine the education of their children. The nuclear family is the greatest form of governance known to man. Capitalism lifts us up from poverty. There are three branches of government, not four. And the U.S. Constitution, it is the strongest guarantor of freedom in human history. That is what won us the American Revolution. That is what will win us the revolution of 2024. Thanks for letting me introduce myself tonight. Now, it is kind of funny because earlier in the debate, he was saying how they all had canned responses, which in some cases it makes sense. This is kind of his outro. This is the last part of the speech or the debate where he, again, he expressed those ideals where in terms of branding and marketing, pretty good. He's been pr very consistent on consistently letting them know there's a list of things I believe in. So if you believe in those things, you can vote for me. Now, this was supposed to be a highlight reel that he tweeted. He missed, I think, the most important part of the whole debate, frankly, is when they asked, would you pardon Donald Trump? He didn't turn and see like, you know, what are these guys gonna do over there? Are you, are you gonna raise your hand? No, he was, not only was he the first to raise his hand, he did it immediately. He said, would you pardon Trump? He goes right up there. Now, whether you believe morally if that's a good or bad idea, in terms of symbolism and being a good metaphor for his personality, I think it shows one, he knows exactly what he's going to do. And two, he doesn't look for other people's approval. He doesn't need guidance. He doesn't, he's not a politician. The other politicians in pure politician form, they just, they looked around for a parameter. And a lot of politicians, they famously will change their opinion based on the polls. Oh, what do people think about this topic? Well, now I'm going to change. It's almost a signature of being a politician, which many people, including myself, would say is, well, kind of sounds opportunistic and two-faced and inauthentic as all hell. So in that respect, I can't help but admire Vivek for being very articulate with his ideals. And again, he's quick on the gun and you know what he's going to do. So I'll be interested to see again, I can't help but think he's going to be, he can't tell people that he doesn't want to be present in terms of his plan because people stop donating and everything he's doing right now would come to a pause, but he doesn't have the current numbers. He, he's catching up to DeSantis. In some polls, he beats DeSantis. But overall, past three months, he's still behind him. Still third place on average is pretty good, but he is very articulate with not insulting Trump. I can't help but wonder, is he pushing for that VP position? Traditionally, that's what most pol many politicians would do. They kind of campaign just because they want to get a cabinet position or they want to get, get on an advisory board or some other cliche bureaucratic job. Now, Vivek, he's not a career politician. He's owned many uh, pharmaceuticals first pharmaceutical startups well not any startups a great accomplished company but he's also written a couple of books so it's hard to say if he's really gunning for the vp position or if he really is giving it his all but he's a very analytical he's a very numbers driven guy i can't help but think he knows he's not going to get the presidency but maybe he'll become a governor I, it'll be interesting let me know in the comments do you think he's gonna it seems like he's gunning for some type of political leadership position but the numbers right now just show it can't it's not going to be the president position, but it shall be interesting to see. And you know, it is politics. There's a lot of time. 
But, of course, you know what I always say. Time shall tell. Now, other interesting political news, you have Vivek Ramaswamy gave an interview a couple months back, which was kind of going viral, saying, why I became a gun owner. Now, this is, again, one of his other excerpts at the NRA ILE Leadership Convention or Forum. And he also brings about his ideals of decreasing the regulations around firearms, also known as, you know, disarming American civilians. Thank you all. It's a good, uh, good to be back in the state of Indiana. I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio. I used to spend a lot of time here. My dad, I used, came over from India to this country. We used to ask him, why'd you come halfway around the world to Cincinnati, Ohio? He said he had to be close to his sister who lived in Indiana. That, of course, begged the question of why his sister came halfway around the world to Fort Wayne, Indiana. And we joke around, it's the only U.S. state with the word India contained in the name of the state. <laughs> it's good to be back. I actually came from the campaign trail here from New Hampshire. We're on a bus tour. I started this morning with an event. I'm going to be speaking at an event tonight in New Hampshire. But I came here to be with you in person. Actually, I didn't want to be one of those career politicians that checks the box, speak to you by Zoom on NRA or whatever. I wanted to be here in person. I should skip forward a little bit here. Brown skin myself. Let me tell you, thank you for what you did because I grew up in today. That is not. There we go. That is how you got Jim Crow. Uh, that is uh. how you got five. You want to know when it happened? We fought a civil war rather than just an American dream. It is the fact that we have to give you. There it is. Here's the quote. No authority has the right to infringe upon political independence or the right to abrogate individual freedoms. Sounds pretty good. That is a quote from Article 9 of the Constitution of Iran. Iran has 177 articles in their Constitution. We have 10 amendments in our Bill of Rights. They have 177 of them. But you know what they don't have? They don't have a second amendment, which means you don't get any of those under 177 either. They banned their citizens from owning guns. That's how it works in Iran. That's not just an exception. Let me read you a quote from a different constitution of a different nation. The unlawful detention or deprivation of freedom is prohibited. The unlawful search of persons of citizens is prohibited. Too bad that's from the constitution of China. <laughs> which will tell you that they offer the same freedoms they do here in the United States. But you know what the difference is? In China, they don't have a Second Amendment. They ban their citizens from owning a gun. That is what makes America's Bill of Rights a reality rather than just an American dream. It is the fact that we have a Second Amendment that gives teeth to every one of the other amendments in that Constitution. Another thing, at this point, no one really talks about anymore, they have concentration camps in China right now. They've had them for years with the meager Muslims. No one's break. No one's fighting to break them out, and civilians aren't exactly in a position to help out either. So I always tell folks, if you look at history, every time the government takes guns, that's usually that isn't usually it is that is when the most morally vacuous things in history ever happen. Even we haven't been perfect in this country. I want you to raise your hand. If you know when the first anti-gun laws were passed in this country, raise your hand if you do. 1865. You want to know when it happened? We fought a civil war in this country to give black Americans the equal protection under the law that we failed to secure them in 1776. 
But then you want to know what happened? Southern states passed anti-gun laws that stopped black people from owning guns. The Democrat Party then, as in now, wanted to put them back in chains. That's exactly what they wanted to do. That is how you got Jim Crow. That is how you got to Martin Luther King Jr. being denied his concealed carry permit wrongly by J. Edgar Hoover's FBI, just as the FBI today politicizes its behavior against its political opponents today. That good, is not right. Good point. That is not America. And you want to know who fixed that problem? It's you all, actually. Who fixed that problem? The NRA is the one that got the job done by securing the rights of black Americans to own guns that train black Americans in this country. I grimace only because the NRA, they have done some amazing things for gun rights throughout the years. And to this day, they do some great safety programs. To, but, I mean, more and more in modern times, they more or less just acquiesce to the demands of people who want to take guns away. I mean, they famously endorsed Trump's idea of banning bump stocks, which was legally questionable, or actually, no, legally, it was ridiculous in terms of the definition of the machine gun. They were redefining it, turning millions of Americans into felons overnight who purchased the product legally, had a letter from the ATF saying this is a legal product, this does not redefine the firearm, and then with the executive order, they just kind of redefined the whole thing and turned Americans into felons. And the NRA said, yeah, that's a good idea. We endorse you. We endorse this action. And they've done many worse things since then as well. To own guns, it was the NRA that got that done. And as a first-generation American with brown skin myself, let me tell you, thank you for what you did because I grew up in this country in the 1990s where we enjoyed the freedoms that the Second Amendment secured. That's the other freedoms in the Bill of Rights. That's the America I know. Thank you. But the America I grew up in is not the America that I see today. Today we have a country that says you enjoy free speech rights, yet Douglas Mackey is now facing up to 10 years in prison for making a joke on the internet about Hillary Clinton. We tell you that you have property rights in this country, yet they will use your pension funds to advance political agendas like telling gun manufacturers that they can't borrow money from banks. They will tell you that we live in a country where we elect the people who actually run the government, and yet the party in power will use police power to arrest its chief political rivals who are former presidents of the United States. That is not the America that I knew or grew up in. That is not the America that I learned to pledge allegiance to as a nation. And the only thing standing in their way is the Second Amendment, which is why they're now going after the Second Amendment itself. They tell you that now if you own a pistol brace, you got to be added to a, effectively added to a gun registry. They'll tell you they want to pressure credit card companies to track transactions to add you to that same federal gun registry. The state of Washington just last week banning the owning of AR style rifles. Gun manufacturers not being able to borrow money from banks. They'll now tell you the state of New York, believe this or not, if you want to get a concealed carry permit, New York is now saying that you got to submit your social media profiles. Let me see how, let me guess how this one's going to play out, all right? So BLM or Antifa, no problem. There's your gun. A couple of American flags, maybe you're a domestic terrorist, okay? Not very hard to predict this one. And, it and it's actually not a joke. People have been named domestic terrorists 
for something as simple as a parent going to speak at a teacher conference or going to speak at a school board meeting because they want to voice their concerns about their kids being, from their opinion, well, many opinions, being sexually indoctrinated into things. They were labeled by the FBI as terrorist. That should scare the bejesus out of everyone. Isn't it funny that it's the very states and cities that will tell you they want to defund the police and clear the jails. It's also, as reported just uh, earlier, if you're watching the whole show, earlier we just reported in New York City, they have 327 people who caused one-third of the crime. They were rearrested 6,000 times, clearly showing that the government has no intention of keeping you safe. They have no intention of cleaning up the city or securing the city. You're on your own. Now more than ever. That'll also be the ones that stop you from actually defending yourself against the crime that their policies create. You know, I know what's interesting is one of those cities is Austin, Texas, hmm. where Sergeant Daniel Perry was wrongly convicted for defending himself against a Black Lives Matter rioter who was pointing a rifle at him. Self that city does not believe in self-defense. Defense is not a crime in this country, and I stand with Governor Greg Abbott in making sure that he receives a pardon. As that was quite literally an individual where a man was in his car, driving. A group of rioters surrounded him, pointing a they pointed an AK-47 at his head, and he properly defended himself with lethal force. But I can't fathom. Oh, I. The only conceivable way that would make sense is if your mind was so twisted that you thought that person, again, a person with pointing a gun at someone's head, in every other legal scenario, that is quite literally use of, you know, if you point a gun at someone, even if you don't pull the trigger, you're going to be charged with use of a deadly weapon. It's the, you're pointing a gun at them. And yet the city, said, the city of Austin said, oh, no, no, you're the bad guy because you had the audacity to defend yourself against this group of people. As he is due. Thank you. The Second Amendment is our last line of defense. And you want to know who knew that? Our founding fathers knew it. They knew more than we give them credit for. You know, the first shots that were fired in Lexington, in Concord, it was because the British monarchy came to take the guns of the colonists. They came to take the guns because they knew where the guns and bullets were stored. Think of that gun registry today. That's what the British monarchy knew. Where our founding fathers said, you know what? What the British monarchy did to us, we will create a government to make sure that government never does it to you. That is why they included the Second Amendment. In God we trust, they said. It's on the bottom of our coins. It's on the bottom of our dollar bills for a reason because when we say in God we trust, that means that in government we distrust. That is what it means to be American. That is who we are. We are the explorers. We are the pioneers who came to this country, whose parents came to this country, whose forefathers came to this country to be free, to be the explorers, to roam the American terrain without any government telling them what they could or couldn't do. And the reason we're able to do it is because the existence of that Second Amendment. Now, I'll tell you, you hear from the other side that, well, we have school shootings in this country. We have mass shootings. I'll tell you, there's not a person in this room that wants to see another school shooting in this country. 
You want to have the courage to deal with it, then step up and deal with the actual problem. We have a mental health epidemic across America. You want to do something, you can ban social media and kids under the age of 15 or 16 before you take guns away from law-abiding adults in America. I still have yet to think of a single logical reason or good reason a kid needs a smartphone or any social media at all. Certainly doesn't make it smarter or increases their mental health one iota. It's also interesting, it's interesting to note that in the United States, we have an unprecedented number of people on pharmaceutical products, and yet mental health keeps declining, almost as if those products don't work at all. Why is that? I think he's got a point. It's a big cultural issue. A lot of broken families, a lot of people who don't have dads at home. That's a big issue that the media won't talk about. Certainly not these days. But hopefully we can turn that around. You want to solve the problem? You better take away. You want to sell all the drugs on the street? You want to use our military? Don't go out to protect somebody else's border. Protect our border here in the United States and end the fentanyl crisis. That is how you solve the problem. You have the greatest hair. Is that a nat? Good old. What is this? YouTube. The fatherlessness epidemic. 25% of kids are born into families without a household. Black, Black Lives Matter says they want to annihilate the nuclear family structure. You want to know what I say? The nuclear family structure is the best known form of governance to mankind. We actually need to bring back the family because that's actually what creates the shooting problems in this country. Fix the problem. Now, that mental health epidemic, where did it come from? It didn't start in a vacuum, okay? It started because we are lost in the desert. I'm going to tell you something about myself. I'm 37 years old. I was born in 1985. I'm the first millennial candidate ever to run for U.S. president as a Republican. I'll just speak with, to you on behalf of my generation. I'm going to tell you something about us. I think it's true about all of us of every age, actually, in this country. We are lost. We are hungry for a cause. We're hungry for purpose and meaning and identity when the things that used to fill that purpose, like faith, patriotism, hard work, family, these things have disappeared. Wokeness, gender ideology, transgenderism, the climate cult, COVID cult have taken their place. You ask someone my age, what does it mean to be an American? You get a blank stare in response. That is the problem at the heart of our national soul. And if we can answer what it means to be an American today, that is how you stop the spread of anxiety and depression and uncertainty and self-doubt. So what does it mean to be American? It means you believe in basic ideas like merit, the idea that you get ahead in this country, not on the color of your skin, as Martin Luther King said it, but on the content of your character and your contributions, which is why I'll end race-based affirmative action in America means you believe in the rule of law that people like my parents who want to come to this country can come through the front door and make their contributions but I am sorry your first act of entering this country cannot be a law-breaking one that is now racist or xenophobic it is what it means to be American it means we believe thank you it means we believe in free speech and open debate because I'll tell you this free speech is a condition for peace in America. You tell people they cannot speak, that is when they scream.
You tell people they cannot scream. That is when they tear things down. Our founding fathers knew that as well as anybody. They had a dream in this country. It's the dream that I have as a citizen, that the people who we elect to run the government in America ought to be the people who actually run the government in America, not this permanent state administrative bureaucracy that actually runs the show. And that is why we need to get in there and shut down that federal bureaucracy. I'll tell you where I'll start. Let's start with the Department of Education. 83, thank you. Let me hear it. $83 billion a year spent on God knows what, foisting race and gender ideology onto our kids. $83 billion? And yet we have all-time low test scores in the United States? It's almost as if sometimes money doesn't solve the problem. Shut that down for a quarter of that budget. I've done the math on this. You can put three armed security guards in every school across this nation. You tell me what's a better use of money. I've also said that we need to go further when you have an agency like that FBI that told Martin Luther King he couldn't have that concealed permit that now tells conservatives effectively the same thing, politicizing the police state against them. You can't reform that from the top down. That is why I've said what you're not supposed to say, but I'm saying it tonight. I will say it again. We will shut down the FBI and replace it with a police. Hopefully he's not going to Dallas anytime soon. It didn't end too well for the last politician who threatened to shut down those government agencies. Apparatus that actually respects the law instead of making it up. And that apparatus can actually do the job of those background checks, which means that tonight I'm pleased to make the announcement that if I'm elected next president of the United States, we will finally shut down the ATF, an agency that is beyond repair. That is the right answer left in the country. And He's going to win a lot of libertarian votes from that statement. While we're at it, let's make constitutional carry the law of the land and finally put any ban on those efforts to actually make that federal gun registry because they want to be able to find you just like the British monarch wanted to find the colonists. We're not going to let that happen. Now, it's been a couple of years since Ted Cruz had, had that remark, but I did think he had a good kernel of truth when Ted Cruz, during an anti-gun discussion he said prominently there's only two reasons for the government to know the serial numbers on your gun or the guns you have to tax them or to take them and if you look at historically speaking that is 110 percent correct so the thing is i'll say this in closing okay our founding fathers they knew what we were doing we celebrate today our diversity and our differences. If we get this right, we can actually stand up to the real foreign policy threats that we face. You want China not to invade Taiwan? Here's something we can do. The NRA can open its branch next time in Taiwan. And you want to stop Xi Jinping from invading Taiwan? Put a gun in every Taiwanese household. Have them defend themselves. Let's see what Xi Jinping does then. It is also hilarious to see all the people who are anti-gun simultaneously support Ukraine, who is arming every civilian with a firearm. And those same people also don't believe in borders, but they're upset about the Ukraine's borders. Hypocrisy in politics is hilarious and all too often common. That is what it means to be an actual American 
train them how to use guns, just like we did to black people in this country after the Civil War. Taiwan, we're coming for you. We're with you, Taiwan. Put a gun in every household. China ain't gonna do a peep. Xi Jinping got nothing on us. That is what it means to be American. Do not celebrate your diversity and your differences. We need to go back and remember all the ways we're really just the same as Americans, bound by that common set of ideals that set this nation into motion 250 years ago. E pluribus unum. From many, one. You see, that is the dream that won the American Revolution. That is the dream that reunited us after that civil war. That is the dream that won us two world wars and the Cold War. That is the dream that still gives hope to the free world. And if we can revive that dream over this fractious group identity nonsense, then nobody in the world, not a nation, not a corporation, not a virus is going to defeat us. That is what American exceptionalism is all about, and that is what we will revive to save this great nation. Thank you. God bless you. God bless your families. God bless the United States of America. Thank you. And for reference, that video was actually used from CNN News 18 on the YouTube. And interesting, I always want to see what people think in the comments, because, well, also, there's nothing more morally vacuous than silencing people and censoring people. So I, by default, I never turn off my comments. YouTube has disgustingly censored a couple of my videos. Hilariously, they actually censored a video where I talk about censorship. So perhaps just proving my point themselves better than I ever could. Also, interesting enough, a couple of the videos about Bud Light, they shut down the comments. And I tried eight times to reopen it. It's open for a minute and then immediately shut down again. So long story short, I believe in the freedom of free speech, even if you don't agree with what I'm saying. I appreciate all the feedback. Now, in this particular video, a lot of the comments are saying that they would never vote Republican before, but they'd vote for him. There's a lot of people saying, let's see here. One gentleman who got 734 likes says, quote, he is much more efficient, researched, and clearer than any other conservative candidate, unquote. Granted, that's not saying much in terms of, I've, there are very few politicians who actually impress me with their proficiency in regard to history, or even better yet, the Bill of Rights of the United States. He is quite articulate. He actually has done a, modicum of re a fair amount of research, which one would think would be a requirement for working in government, but unfortunately it seems to be no. You also have a couple things saying, the more I listen to Vivek, the more I like him. That got 723 upvotes on the YouTube. And there's a lot of people saying, like I've never voted for them before, voting now. And in terms of becoming president, you need the people in the middle. I think. Sometimes a lot of political folks are very polarizing and they don't realize you do need to get the folks in the middle, a lot of the independents in order to win. You're always gonna have, I don't know, maybe 10 to 20% who will always vote left or always vote right just by default. Even if, no matter, no matter what the name is, they'll just vote because the letter D or R by, is by their name. Something I think we should get rid of. Get rid of those stupid letters. You should actually know who you're voting for, but a topic for another time perhaps. But you really need to gain those votes in the middle and he seems to be doing better and better at that. So I think he's going to keep increasing the polls. Will it be increasing it? And again, there's a lot of lead time. It's still about actually a little bit more than a year out. So it'll be interested to see how much can we increase. But as I say, time shall tell. Now, other interesting political news. You have a really interesting site by the name of predictit.org. Basically, we could bet on the odds of someone becoming president.
and I think it's also for a myriad of other things as well. And for some reason, you've had, of course, Trump is at the front. So it's at 61 cents. So for every dollar someone's betting, 61% are saying that he's going to win. I believe that's my understanding of this website. Again, this is a predictit.org. And interesting enough, after the GOP debate, for a couple weeks now, Vivek has been increasing in the polls. For a long time, it was usually like Donald Trump at 61 cents, around DeSantis, around you know 10 to 15. And after the debate, in quite for a couple of weeks, Vivek passed DeSantis on this particular site. So Vivek is at 19 cents. You have Ron DeSantis at 15 cents, Nikki Haley at 8 cents, Tim Scott at 5 cents, Glenn Youngkin at 5 cents, Chris Christie at 3 cents. So he actually went down 2 cents after the debate. You have Mike Pence at 2 cents. And then Doug Burnham at one cent, and then a bunch of other folks at one cent who aren't really running. <laughs> yeah. But it is interesting to see, it looks like in terms of his political aspirations, that did have quite a profound positive impact on his on this particular poll. It'll be interesting as we see more and more polls come out, is again, you know, debate just happened. It'll be interesting to see how many more people were attracted to their candidates. Or again, DeSantis did moderately good for the GOP debate. Some people are saying it's just going to re. Uh, well, it's a common theory that it's just going to reinforce your feelings you already had about a candidate. But it'll be interesting to see. Maybe you gain a couple more people in the middle. Let me know in the comments how much how much did that GOP debate change your opinion about him in particular. It'll be interesting to see. I would say time shall tell. Now, other political news you have Tucker Carlson and Donald Trump doing an interview. Now. This interview, within the first 18 hours, got 220.2 million views. Or as Trump would say, we got more views, more views than anyone in particular, the best views, the best ratings. We got 352,000 likes, better than anyone before. I apologize, I should have my hair done, perhaps. That perhaps won't be the worst Trump impression you've heard all year, but it's perhaps probably not the best as well. Now. That's astronomical in the ratings. I'm surprised they didn't break the internet. And even more impressive, they actually did it on Twitter's platform, further showing how Twitter is becoming, or now X.com, or X, is becoming a legitimate platform for journalists. Tucker Carlson was on Fox News consistently getting you know, 300,000, 400,000 views a night, maybe 800,000 on a good day. He was the most popular person on Fox News. And this just goes to show you, oh, again, Fox News, business blunder of the year is firing Tucker Carlson. But... To have that much of a success is astronomical. You also had Elon Musk responding. He, he said, tweet, and he quoted, interesting to hear things directly versus through the media filter, unquote. Now, Elon's response tweet got 2 million views and 92,000 likes, giving you a good old ratio of 4.6%. And interestingly enough, in terms of strategy, Trump did this at the same time the GOP was having the debate, partially because he's, he's about 40 points in the poll. So there's really not much incentive for him to do to go attend now i do apologize i'm looking for, and let me know in the comment section if you know a good software to use in terms of in real time incorporating the video into the recording apparatus right now i'm using obs software with a 4k razor camera and the issue i have i tried xsplit someone and i appreciate the comments someone reached out to me before and it won't recognize this particular camera so i'm looking for some type of software where you can record me as well as I can share my screen as well. And again, the feedback is always greatly appreciated. The more people who tune in, the more people who subscribe, the better we'll be able to make the content and the better we'll be able to make the whole production. So I do apologize. We don't have a visual today. Well, except for me, which some would say is a blessing. Perhaps some might say a curse. But 
we're going to go. We're going to go ahead and try to play this interview. And I'll give a couple comments throughout periodically as well. And this is episode 19 of Tucker Carlson reporting exclusively on Twitter. It's debate night, but we're not in Milwaukee. Mr. President, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Why are you at the Fox News debate tonight in Milwaukee? Well, you know, a lot of people have been asking me that, and many people said you shouldn't do them, but you see the polls have come out, and I'm leading by 50 and 60 points. In some polls. And, you know, some of them are at one and zero and uh, two, and I'm saying, do I sit there for an hour or two hours, whatever it's going to be, and uh, get harassed by people that shouldn't even be running for president? Should I be doing that? Uh, and a network that isn't particularly friendly to me, frankly. You know, they, uh, they were backing Ron DeSanctimonious like crazy, and now they've given up on him. Think of a better name. Like, again, a lot of people attribute Trump to being almost a stand-up comedian, but DeSanctimonious, it, it, there's a lot of material to work with. And if, if you're thing, and again, I don't think this is a great political strategy in general, um, B-rating, or unfortunately, actually, negativity news does sell, but... I don't think it's a great strategy to come up with particular insults for your uh, opponents, but if you are going to do that and you have a track record of being moderately entertaining and successful doing that, yeah, he's got to think of a more upgraded name for DeSantis. There has to be, let me know in the comments. Like, it just feels like his weakest attempt to give, to give someone a, a nickname. I don't know, but. I mean, he's, it's a lost cause. It's reminded me very much of 2016. You know, in 2016, I went through the same stuff and had to fight them all the way and then they became very friendly after i won or just about when i was winning but i just felt it would be uh, more appropriate not to do the debate i don't think it's uh, right to do it uh if you're leading by 50 60 i have one problem leading by 70 points and i'm saying why am i doing it and i'm going to have eight people ten people whoever made the debate i don't know how many it is but i'm going to have all these people screaming at me shouting questions at me all of which I love answering, I love doing, but it doesn't make sense to do them. So uh, I've taken a pass, as it's, you probably noticed. Well, I, I, did, I did. I'm grateful that you did. Um, it's interesting, though, because you spent a lot of your career in television. Yeah. Um, you had a top show in television on NBC. Um, but you don't feel the need now running for president to do television, obviously. Do you think television is declining? Well, according to a poll that I guess we just saw, it just came out where it's down like 30, 35%, but I think they were talking, referring to cable. I think cable's down because it's lost credibility. MSNBC, or as they say, MSDNC, is so bad. It's so wrong what they write and what they do and what they say. It's, you know, it's fake news, as I said. I think I came up with that term. I hope I did, because it's a good one. It's not tough enough anymore. It's corrupt news. You know, really what you do is called corrupt news, but somehow that doesn't play as nicely, but uh, it is corrupt news. So you have uh, MSNBC and you have CNN, who's absolutely doing no ratings at all. I mean, they're dead, but they're doing... I'm actually surprised people at CNN aren't secretly praying, like, please, Trump, win. Because he's right, after the 2020 election... The CNN ratings crashed. Like we're talking not not single digit percentage, not two percent, not five percent. We're talking 40, 50, 60 percent. It just crashed completely because their main shtick was just covering Trump's tweets and his blunders, or even or just making up stuff about him as well. But it sold, and CNN made a lot of money. So I wouldn't be. I almost wonder like how many people at CNN are really hoping he makes a comeback just so they can get a job or maintain their job doing none because they don't have credibility. They really don't have credibility. Fox is way down, as you know. 
and uh, the good old days are, are long ago. I will say this, uh, it could come back, but they, have, they just don't have a lot of credibility. Tucker, you know that perhaps better than anybody. I think it was a terrible move getting rid of you. You were number one on television, and all of a sudden you're, we're doing this interview, but we'll get bigger ratings using this crazy forum that you're using than probably, uh, probably the debate or competition. When you, when you say there are people on stage who shouldn't be running for president, who do you mean? Well, I don't want to really use names, but it wouldn't matter too much. A guy like... He's joking, but he he's right. So in terms of who watched the GOP debate, it looked like, again, this is a premiere on Fox News. And again, it was also live streaming, I believe. On, oh, no, I don't believe it was live streaming on Rumble as well. But in terms of the old cable news, it's estimated that a little bit over 50 million people turned in to Fox to watch that debate. 50 million. And you have Tucker Carlson on Twitter get 220.2 million. That's astonishing. That's astronomically better. It's an unprecedented multiplier. So I think it is fair to say media has been shifting and evolving. And indeed, less people are tuning in to the traditional cable networks. Uh, I call him Ada Hutchinson. It's Asa, but I call him Ada. Uh, Why do you I call him Ada? Know, I, you know, I could tell you, but I don't want to get myself in a little trouble. But he's weak and pathetic, and he was... Uh, I never understood the guy. I never knew him. He was the governor of Arkansas. I did not a very popular guy. I don't know how he... But that state is such a great state. The people are so incredible yes. in that state, and they love me, and I love them. How does this guy get elected governor of Arkansas? But he's nasty always and uh, has been uh, a guy like chris christie the guy left with a eight percent think of it eight percent approval rating in new jersey now he's running for president and he runs solely on the basis oh let's get trump let's he's like a savage uh, uh, maniac he's like a lunatic and that's all he talks about his poll numbers are very very low he's about two percent what's he like you know him well oh, i've had i've been friendly with him over the years but i couldn't give him a, a job because i just never trusted him very much uh, I was just never one of his people that really trusted him. I never gave him the job, and that's one of the reasons he feels so hurt and so betrayed. And I understand that. I really do. I understand it, but I never gave him. You know, he wanted to be different things. He was looking at different uh, elements of the administration, and we decided, uh, I decided just, I didn't want to, I didn't want to do it. And now I'm glad I did, because you see, hmm. but, you know, we had some some great people. I had great people. We'll have even better people. If we do. That is a big part of Chrissy's campaign. And it actually will get him some votes. The only reason I think that, or the main reason why Chris Christie has any movement in the polls is because you have the people who, there are, there are many people who do not like Trump, and some of those people are Republicans, so they're going to vote for Chris, they're, right now, they're going to show their support for Chris Christie, I guess? Do this, because now I know Washington before I didn't know Washington. But guys like Bill Barr were terrible. I mean, they were, I would say, Bushies. Uh, I say that with respect to the Bush family, but they were Bushies, and uh, just it doesn't work out for us. Really. It was clear, and this is kind of far afield, but it was just interesting. I read Barr's account of his time. He wrote a book about it, right? Uh, his autobiography. And in it, he lies about Jeffrey Epstein's death. Clearly lies. Do you, do you think Epstein killed himself sincerely? I don't know. I, I will say that, you know, he was a fixture in Palm Beach. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what Barr said about it either. I have no idea what... Of all the times to be, like, politically correct or, like, neutral with an ideal or a conspiracy theory, 
this is a weird this is a weird topic to choose because again this is an issue where he was in a jail cell the cam none of the cameras worked the guards were just happened to be away he was apparently on suicide watch and yet they gave him materials which you normally take away like shoelaces and stuff and oh yeah his uh his uh mate in the cell was uh, a very violent person and two people two or three doctors who looked at the body said oh yeah he someone strangled the heck out of him i mean I would venture to say most Americans are confident that Epstein didn't kill himself. It was trending for quite some time in social media. Again, it's fascinating. He's the only person to ever be arrested in history for trafficking to have, and then to have no customers. That list was never released, and those people were presumably never prosecuted. Interesting. He said, what did he say? He killed himself, probably? He said he killed himself and that they were going to do this investigation. They never did the investigation. It's never been yeah, public. Well, and they hid it. And like, why are they doing that? And clearly Barr knew. But why would Bill Barr be covering up the death of Jeffrey Epstein? Uh, Bill Barr didn't do an investigation on the election fraud either, okay? He said he did, and he pretended he did, but he didn't. Uh, uh, McSwain, the U.S. attorney in Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, uh, said Barr, Barr just wouldn't let him do it. It was crazy. Barr became so petrified, so frightened of being impeached. We're going to impeach him. I don't know if you remember it. Yeah. It's not a big moment in history. But they said, we're going to impeach. You know, they play a much rougher game than the left, the lunatics. And they were going to impeach Bill Barr. And he was petrified. Now, how do you not get impeached? Don't do any of this stuff. But he didn't do the job there. Uh, I don't know what he did with Epstein, but possibly he did Do didn't you think do it's that. possible that Epstein was killed? Oh, yes. sure, it's possible. I, I mean, I don't really believe I think he probably uh, committed suicide. Right. He had a life with, you know, beautiful homes and beautiful everything, and he, uh, all of a sudden, he's incarcerated and not doing very well. I would say that he did, but there are those people, there are many people, I think you're one of them, right? But a lot of people think that he uh, he was killed. He knew a lot on a lot of people. He was killed. You I think, think so? I think the, more, the closer you look, I'm not a conspiracy person at all. I believe everything I hear. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, the, the closer you look into it, I mean, the Attorney General of the United States, your Attorney General, yeah. clearly lied about the Epstein death. Yeah, he was, why? He was, uh, certainly it wasn't well done. They had no cameras, they had no anything, everybody was sleeping, and you know, there, the, a case could be made. Look, I'm not going to get involved <laughs> oh, in it, yeah. but I can tell you, a case could be made either way, but uh, it certainly wasn't the most well-run place. So, so the reason I'm asking you is I'm looking at the trajectory since 2015 when you got into politics, yeah. you know, for real, and then won. Uh, there, it started with protests against you, massive protests, right. organized protests by the left, and then it moved to impeachment twice, right. and now indictment. I mean, the next stage is, is violence. Is, are you worried that they're going to try and kill you? Why wouldn't they try and kill you, honestly? Uh, they're savage animals. They are people that are sick, really sick. You have great people in the Democrat Party. You have great people that are Democrats. Most yeah. of the people in our country are fantastic, and I'm representing everybody. I'm not just Republicans or conservatives. Right. I represent everybody. I'm the president of everybody. But I've seen what they do. I've seen the lengths that they go to. When they make up the Russia, 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 when that's exposed and they go down and Barr should have gone after them and other people should have gone after and they did very late because the Durham report came out it was fairly good it could have been a lot tougher I guess but it was fairly good but it explained how corrupt it was uh, I'll tell you who did a great job was the Inspector General Horowitz he did a phenomenal report you didn't have to go to Durham he did it on Comey and on 
I guess McCabe and some others, and it was a vicious, horror. it was basically a true report how bad they are. But these people are sick people. These are people that uh, I think they hate our country. You want to know the truth. When you see open borders, when you see these policies that they have, and so many other things, it's so sad to see. You know, we have a country that's very fragile right now. I've never seen, I, I will say, look, uh, I ran in 16, which was 15, but I ran in 16, election in 16, and there was tremendous spirit. Uh, in 20, there was even more spirit. We got many millions of, we got millions and millions more votes. You know, it wasn't even a contest. People said, well, what do you think of 20? I said, we did much better. We did. You got to base it on the number of votes. We got many more votes in 20 than we did in 16. But the election was rigged. It was a rigged election. But, and with COVID, they used COVID to cheat in a lot of different things. And we have so much on it. It's like so easy. We had judges that didn't want to look. We had people didn't want to get involved. Do say they, they could. You, he's a conspiracy theorist if you say anything about the election. But I have never seen spirit like there is right now. Even coming down here, just the people on the road that are just absolutely going crazy. And the reason is, I think they like me, and I, I know they love my policies. I hope they like me too. You know, a lot of people say they don't like me, but they like my. I think they like me, but. I have never seen spirit like it is right now. And the reason is because crooked Joe Biden is so bad. He's the worst president in the history of our country. I don't think he's going to make it to the gate, but you know, you never know. But he's a corrupt person, so corrupt that I took the name off Hillary. You know, I don't do two people at one time. I took the crooked Hillary and I made it. I retired the name. It was a good day for her. I bet she was very happy. And I used. I, I, I'm almost surprised it's not like a ceremony taking down the jersey and giving it to someone else. He should have someone like in an animation department do some stuff like that and put it on social media. It'd go viral exponentially. It for Joe because it's crooked Joe, but Joe is really. But you don't think he's going to make it to November of twenty? Well, I, I think he's worse uh, mentally than he is physically, and physically he's not exactly uh, a triathlete or any kind of an athlete. Huh. You look at him; he Bike can't pod. walk to the helicopter. He he walks. He can't lift his feet out of the grass. You know, it's only two inches at the White House, right? That's not a lot. But you watch him, and it looks like he's walking on toothpicks. So, and then you see him on the beach where he can't lift a chair. You know, those chairs are meant to be light, right? They're like two ounces. Yeah. Oh, there's going to be Snopes. Those chairs are not two ounces, sir. They're actually 16.5 ounces made of aluminum or some factory like that. I'm sure that's happening. Lift him up. He can't lift the chair. He can't walk to the chair. And I, I don't know what they're doing with the beach. You know, this beach is seeming to play a big role. but. They love pictures of him on the beach. I think he looks terrible on the beach. He looks terrible on the beach. Skinny legs. Well, he can't walk through the sand. You know, sand yeah. is not that easy to walk through. But when he walks through it, he can't walk through the sand. And there's somebody in there that thinks he looks fabulous at the beach. I think he looks horrible at the beach. Plus, the beach doesn't represent what a president's supposed to be doing. He's supposed to be working. He's supposed to be getting us out of that horrible, horrible war that we're very much involved in with Russia. And Ukraine, you could do that. You could do that very easily. I believe you could do that very... I don't believe he could do it because he's just incompetent. Again, the U.S. could stall that overnight. It's simple. Again, it's not an original idea, but just tell Ukraine, hey, no more funding. We've given you over $100 billion. Here's what's going to happen. Each side is going to give something up, and there's going to be some peace. They, the Ukraine is completely dependent on outside sources to fund them, not just with cash, 
but with arms and armaments. If the if all the countries really want if the world really wanted peace, if all the countries really wanted peace, they just decrease their support of Ukraine and just tell both sides, hey, you're not going to keep supporting you. You two are going to have to work this out. Make a compromise. It's quite literally that simple. And I'm no Henry Kissinger. Granted, I, hopefully, better looking than him, though, granted. But that's a war that should end immediately, not because of one side or the other, because hundreds of thousands of people are being killed. Can you imagine you're in an apartment house and rockets are going into that building and blowing it up and knocking it down? And who, who can, why, why should anything, why should anybody, human beings, is a human, whether they're Russian or Ukrainian or whatever they are, it's got to be stopped. And it can't be stopped very easily. It would have never started. If I were president, it would have never started. Now, it is interesting. Some people do not like his foreign policies, but that was one of the few times where Russia didn't expand they did with the prior administrations going to crimea and a couple other places i can really pronounce to be honest but interestingly enough and ironically enough when we were told that this is the one president who was a russian cat spa it was one time when russia didn't really expand interesting so back to biden i'm interested so you think he's failing he obviously is failing i think it's clear to everybody but oh, not that everyone. would make Kamala Harris, the candidate? Well, not really. I mean, I guess they'd have uh, maybe a free-for-all. A lot of people say she has to remain for certain reasons, the candidate. She has to. I don't think that's true, actually. I don't think that other people would stand for it. Uh, she has some bad moments. Her moments are almost as bad as his. I think his are worse, actually. Yeah. But she seems pretty senile, too. She speaks in, uh, in rhyme. In, uh, it's weird. It's weird. But she has bad moments and right. of all the things that Trump could do in terms of again, I'm not saying this is a politically good idea, but if he's leaning into the thing where he gives people's names, how has he not correlated her laugh? Like many people have correlated Kamala Harris's laugh with the Joker from Batman. How Trump has it connected the dots or the lines to come up with like a, a, a nickname that goes into that is beyond me. I am what do you well the way she talks the bus will go here and then the bus will go there because that's what buses do it's weird the whole thing is weird this is not a president of the united states future and uh i think they probably have some kind of a primary and other people will get involved i mean, newsom right i could mean that's... Be, could be i mean you know i always got along well with him believe it or not but could be him could be somebody else he's got a big a big load on his shoulders because you look at California, what's happened. Yeah. But I don't know if the American people really, the people that vote for him, I don't even know if they care. You know, they you don't. look at so many of the things that are... They don't. During the worst lockdowns, during when California completely decimated their economy and hundreds of businesses left California, mostly to Texas and other freedom-loving states like Florida, they actually tried to get him out of office. They had to try to have a recall. He still won. California is getting exactly what they want. They're voting him, they vote for him again, again, again. Going on, and people don't seem to be, in the old days, if you had a bad record, it meant a lot. Today, if you have a bad record, it doesn't really mean anything. You know, he looks good, he's a nice looking guy, speaks well. But Biden, every time you watch him talking, it's like he's walking on eggs. You're waiting for him to collapse. And he almost always does. And I got to know the leaders of all of the countries, essentially, but the big ones. 
And the bigger, the tougher, the leader. You know, it's like sort yeah. of, I guess maybe that's the way it's supposed to be. But I got to know President Xi of China and Putin and Kim Jong-un, North Korea. Did a great job with North Korea. Kept us out of a nuclear war. We would have 40,000 dead soldiers right now. They'd drop a nuke right on top of the military base. But we have 40,000 soldiers over there. And I did great. I got along with him great. It's a good, that's a positive. You know, the press said, he said nice things about Kim Jong-un. I also said horrible things at the beginning. Horrible enough that he wanted to talk. And we talked and we met in Singapore. We met actually twice. And we had uh, unbelievable meetings. I know him very well. We were in great shape with him. Uh, the, what do you think he and Xi and Putin think of Biden? I think they can't believe it. I think they probably say this is some kind of a system. You know, they had great respect for our country. They respected me. They had great respect for our country when I was there. Every one of them. Look, uh, if you go to if you go to North Korea, you take a look at what happened. You know, the Olympics was dead. South Korea spent billions on the Olympics. Nobody was going to go. They didn't want to get blown up. They called me and they said, we are going to let the Olympics proceed. This is North Korea. I said, you should go into the Olympics. Put your athletes in. It wasn't like, you know, they were big on athletes because, you know. Famine. But they went in and they actually participated. And within about two days, the entire thing was sold out. And if it wasn't me, that would have never happened. But I got along very well with him, and that's a positive thing. He, he does have massive nuclear power, by the way. And if Hillary would have gotten in, or if the Obama thought process continued, it would have been a nuclear war absolutely with North Korea. He was, he was expecting to go into a war, and an, it would have been a nuclear war. What, so do you think the rest of the world looks on at Biden and thinks someone else has got to be running the government? Well, somebody else... So I was curious. I always thought North Korea was always on the precipice of getting nuclear power. But again, this is according to ICANN and Washington Post. It says a recent article saying that North Korea has an estimated arsenal between 30 and 40 nuclear weapons and sufficient production of fission, of fission material for six to seven nuclear weapons per year. It also stockpiled a significant quantity of chemical and biological weapons. So interestingly enough, perhaps the threat is bigger than we thought. This has to be... Uh... I don't think he's capable of doing no. anything. Look, when I debated him, I said, how come, and this was in front of, probably not a friend of yours, Chris Wallace, he was the moderator. Not a friend. <laughs> I said, why did, why is it, he wants to be Mike, but he doesn't have the talent. It's one it's of those bitchy little, little man. He wanted to be his father, but he didn't have the talent of his father. His father was great. His he father. Said, little fussy man. His father interviewed me <laughs> in 60 Minutes. It was actually a 10. Can you believe I, it? No, I totally believe it. His father got, had talent, at no, least. I may have been the only guy that he gave a good 60 Minutes. So he was rough. Really? His father was tough. He was great, though. He was great at what he did. But uh, Chris Wallace was so upset. He was guarding this guy, who wouldn't do a show, by the way. You know, he wouldn't do I figured, I didn't mind Chris Wells because uh, he wouldn't do, Biden wouldn't do a show. And it was very obvious, you know, he kept asking him and asking, but he wouldn't do the show, so I figured he's got to like me. But he came from a different planet. But remember when I asked the question, why is it that the mayor of Moscow's wife is allowed to give you three and a half million dollars don't forget, that was brought up now, it's brought up all the time, but that was brought up by me long before anyone ever heard of it. I said, the mayor of Moscow's wife giving you three and a half million dollars. What did you do to deserve three and a half million dollars to Biden? And Chris Wallace said, this doesn't, uh, this has nothing to do with the debate. 
I mean, he fought. He got for, in the way of the question. No, he, well, it was it was crazy. And I said, well, wait a minute. He got three and a half million from the mayor of Moscow's wife. Now, people forget that, but if you go back and take a look, you will see. And Chris Wallace didn't want me to ask that question. I said, I think it's a very appropriate question. It turned out to be much more appropriate than people thought. Amazing. Um, so do, do you have a preference in, assuming you're the Republican nominee and all goes as you plan it to go, do you have a preference in who you run against? Uh, in many ways, I'd love to run against him because his record's so bad. You know, it's still horrible when you look at inflation and everything else, but others also have very bad records. I mean, California's a bad record, so, you know, should it be Gavin or should it be somebody else? When I look at San Francisco, what's happened to that incredible city? That was one of the greatest cities in the world just a short while ago, and now it's... So is Detroit. It's sad when you look at it. Los Angeles, every city practically, uh, all the Democrat-run cities. You know, Republican-run cities are doing very nicely because they arrest people when you have crimes. And they don't go after political candidates because they think it's good, you know? I mean, it's like been amazing. My poll numbers are the highest I've ever had. But because people understand it. Well, so wait, so that, can, can I ask you, that yes. gets back to my original question. So if the protest didn't work, you got elected anyway. Yeah. Impeachment didn't work twice, obviously. Um, indictment is not working. Your poll numbers go up. When they raided Mar-a-Lago in August yeah. of last year, your numbers went up. Um, they can indict you 20 times, and it's not gonna, you're not going to lose the Republican primary because of that. Well, so it like makes it look even more ridiculous. I mean, the four indictments, and maybe there'll be more. I don't know. These people are crazy. But they're counterproductive. So if you chart it out, it's an escalation, yeah. is what I'm saying. Yeah. So what's next? After you know, trying to put you in prison for the rest of your life, that's not working. So like, don't they have to kill you now? I I think the people of our country uh, don't get enough credit for how smart they are. And I, I'm not sure I would have said this 10 years ago, but they get it, you know? They yeah. really get it. When somebody gets indicted, your poll numbers go down. When somebody gets indicted, you announce, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'll be leaving to spend time with my family and to fight for the rest of my life for this stuff. But you're out of politics. I got indicted four times. All trivia, nonsense. Bullshit. It's all bullshit. It's horrible when you look and, and you look at what they're doing. Uh, the it, is, it is fascinating, too. He actually raised over, I believe it was a million dollars in the first day of the first indictment. It's quite the opposite of the traditional politician situation where normally they tank their tank their ratings. The support would evaporate over precipitously a couple minutes. But for him, it, the quite, quite the antithesis is the opposite. He raised unprecedented amount of cash from that or funds for his campaign, and his ratings went up. Now, granted, those ratings are probably for people who are already more likely to vote Republican on average, and you do need the middle people in order to get elected, but it was fascinating to see. Boxes hoax, I'm covered by the Presidential Records Act. I'm allowed to do exactly that. He's not covered, and he's got 25 times the number of boxes, and he's got them stored in Chinatown. He's got them stored in a flimsy garage underneath his Corvette. Uh, at Penn, and by the way, at Penn, he gets millions of dollars. China pays this guy millions of dollars. See, I think he's the most corrupt president we've ever had, and he also has the distinction of being the most incompetent. And I believe both. I mean, he's both incompetent and corrupt. So and I, I actually believe he's compromised because China knows so much about him. They know where the money comes from. They know where it is, who paid it, and they probably paid it. Well, they do pay Penn, and he gets a 
you know, a million dollars. I think it takes $999,000 because, you know, keeps it a little bit under a million, like by a dollar. But he, in many ways, is a Manchurian candidate. We have a Manchurian candidate, and he's afraid to tell Russia to get out of Cuba. He's afraid to tell China to get out of Cuba. He's afraid. China now is building, think of this, China's building military installations in Cuba. The Cuban population of Miami is not too happy because they're never going to be able to go back. Yeah. And there's a reason my family got the hell out of Cuba when Fidel took over. It is disgusting how many Americans actually praise communism and yet they never spend a day in Venezuela or Cuba. There's a reason people leave those places as soon as they can. However, they do whatever they can to get out. And you don't even hear about it. And the worst culprit is the press, the media, because uh, normally, you know, when I first heard that, I, that China's building installations in Cuba, and installations means military installations, okay, you know, they said just some communication. They did that on the islands with Japan. They took the island, they started this massive construction, and they told everybody, including the Japanese, the Japanese have to be very careful, they told everybody that this is a housing development, they're going to build a housing development. And I said, how come the runway is 20,000 feet long? You know, private jets need 4,000 feet. They don't need 20,000 feet. The big ones need 20,000 feet. They don't even need 20. And I looked at the runway, I said, that's the largest runway ever built, both in width and length, for housing development. There's nobody that has a plane that big <laughs> that, uh, that you would have a runway that, that's, uh, that's, Why that's is China testing. allowed to conduct imperialism in our hemisphere? Well, yeah, and it's far beyond Cuba. It's all over South America. Yeah, and the Caribbean. So we built a thing called the Panama Canal. We lost 35,000 people to the mosquito, you know, malaria. Yeah. We lost 35,000 people building. We lost 35,000 people because of the mosquito. Vicious. They had to build under nets. It was one of the true great wonders of the world. As he said, one of the nine wonders of the world. No, no, it was one of the seven. This happened a little while ago, you know. There's nine wonders of the world. You could make nine wonders. He would have been better off if he stuck with the nine and just said, yeah, I think it's nine. But this is one of the true seven wonders of the world. And you take a look at the Panama Canal. It was such, such an incredible engineering marvel. We sold it under Jimmy Carter. We sold it to Panama for one dollar. The following day, they quadrupled the amount of money the chips had to pay to get across. They didn't lose one ship. And now they've made it much bigger, and now they've widened it. They've doubled it, right? They've more than doubled it. And it's one of the most profitable things any time. It, it's, it's just incredible, right? We gave it away for one dollar. China now controls it. They actually control the Panama Canal. They run it. They control it. And we shouldn't let that happen. And we can't let China be in Cuba. And they'll get out. If I'm president, they'll get out. Because I had a very good relationship with President Xi, but he respected this country. He respected me. And he'll get out. And we can't let them run the Panama Canal. We built the Panama Canal. Should have never been given to Panama. We should have had it. But we gave it for one dollar. Think of it. They quadrupled. In one day, they lifted the fees, which are, you know, pretty big for these massive ships to go through, right? Rather than going around the Cape and through all the tremendous storms, such beauty, such, you know, when you, it's beautiful stuff. But you didn't want to get caught in those storms. Those were storms that wiped out the biggest ships. And we go through the Panama Canal, we built it. 
and we gave it away for one dollar. Think of that, how stupid are we? We have done the stupidest things in this country, uh, and now we have a president that can't put two sentences together, can't speak, can't walk, can't talk. I don't think he gets to the starting gate, but these people do miracles. I mean, he, he ran out of his basement, and you got away with that one because of COVID, so he sort of got away with it. They cheated on the election. But you have people that are very smart, but they're fascists and they're radical left lunatics, and they're destroying our country with the all-electric cars and the windmills all over the place, which, by the way, don't work, and they're all, most of them, made in China. For the most part, they're made in China. Germany, a little bit, but China. But you look at what's happening to our country, even no voter ID. I mean, why don't they want voter ID? There's only one reason they don't want voter ID, because they want to cheat. Who doesn't want, you know, the Democrat convention, the last one, they had voter ID that was this big. It looked like a prison card, this big on their chest. You walked in, they had your picture, your this, your fingerprint. They had everything, the most incredible voter ID I've ever seen. That was to get into the Democrat National Convention. But Ironic. To get in to vote, if you buy groceries, if you buy any, practically anything now, you have ID on a card, credit cards or otherwise. And but that, don't you think it's racist to have to show your ID? Well, they probably say that. They, they use anything not to show ID because... That's the most cliche thing you hear in politics as showing an ID has somehow become political. They say, oh yeah, minorities can't get IDs. It's discrimination. It's, a, it's hard for them. It's pretty morally vacuous for you to think they don't have the abilities. I, my family's from Cuba. We have IDs. You just go to the DMV. It's really not that complicated. And it's pretty insulting that you would think that's above our intellect. Voter ID is pretty simple, and we could go back, and we should go back to all paper ballots, voter ID, same-day voting. You know, France did it. France had uh, mail-in ballots, and it was terrible. Anytime you have mail-in ballots, you're going to have massive cheating on your elections. Anytime, and not just the presidential election. Anytime you have... Is that the whole point of them? So yeah. You can cheat? Oh, yeah, sure. It's the whole point. That's the whole point. They want to cheat. Yeah. They have to cheat because their policies are so... Again, I don't know. If, I don't think this is an original idea in terms of for me, but if everyone is so concerned, left and right, about the integrity of elections, we have holidays for everything in the United States. The most nuanced BS thing is now a holiday. Why don't you have a holiday called Voting Day? Shut down everything. Everyone goes to vote in person. And then there's also no speculation where you're sometimes waiting days for everyone to get down, to get there and vote, to do it all at once. Would be a little, be a little logistically challenging? Uh, perhaps. There might be some long lines, you set up a bunch of locations, use some stadiums. But I think that might put to rest some, a lot of the concerns that are around this. So bad that if they didn't cheat, they couldn't get elected. Who wants open borders? Who wants high taxes? Who wants high interest rates? Who wants to not be able to use a gas stove? or have to drive an electric car, which, you know, you have a four-hour drive, but the car only goes an hour and a half, so you have to charge it. The happiest moment for somebody in an electric car is the first 10 minutes. In other words, you get it charged, and now for 10 minutes. The unhappiest part is the next hour, because you're petrified that you're not going to be fine to another charger. People, I'm saying, if people, I'm not knocking electric cars, they're fine, they're fine. But if people want to buy a gasoline car or a hybrid, hybrids are pretty good, actually, but they should be allowed to buy. They don't want to do any of this. So right now, California's in a big brownout because their grid is a disaster. The grid all over the country is sort of a disaster. But, but the it's grid still a lot in you get an EV. And yet, 
they want to have in a very short period of time millions and millions of cars going off that grid, essentially. Uh, Not possible. It doesn't work. So plug your car into a grid that's fair. You should be able to buy an electric car. You know, electric cars could be fine if you drive short distances and you want to have, you know, whatever, and you have plug-ins everywhere you go. They could be fine. But you got to have gasoline cars. you got to have everything. Let people buy everything. The now there's the new thing. They used to call that the free market. Is your uh, heating systems in the house. They don't want you to have a modern-day heating system. They want you to use a heating system that will cost you at least $10,000 to buy and won't work very well. Like electric You know, car. none of this stuff works as well. One of the things I did with EPA is uh, you have states, many, many states, most of the states have so much water. You know, it comes out of heaven, right? The water pours down and you have it. It's there. It's got to go wherever it goes, into the oceans, whatever. It's not like a big problem. Now, in some states, they have a problem. You know, you have some desert areas and all, and for that, it's okay. But they have uh, sinks where no water comes out. You turn it on, no water comes out. No water comes out of the shower. No water is allowed to go into the washing machine for your dishes or for your clothing or what. And I avoided all of that. Wait, they have sinks where no water comes sure, out? Sure, you have restrictors. When I say no water, very little water, you want to wash your hands, right? Yeah. And you t you've seen this, and you turn on the sink and it's very little. Uh, or you want to wash your beautiful hair, right? And you're standing under a shower. Then the suds never go, the water comes out very slowly. I'm sure you've seen this. It usually takes place in new hotels and new homes. Yeah, you take a drill and take the... They have a... Well, you can, but now they make it so you can't do that so easily. They have a restrictor. It's called a restrictor, and it restricts the water from coming out. So I ended all of that, and you have to see these, they, they let the water come out. You know what people do? They wash their hands like five times longer, or in the washing machine, they'll press for their, let's say the uh, dishwasher, they'll press it, then they'll press it about seven or eight times. Yeah. They'll end up using more water, and it still won't be very good. I met with the head of Whirlpool. They were practically going out of business during my administration. And they said to me, from Ohio, incredible, great state. I love Ohio. And they were really doing badly because people were dumping washing machines all over, mostly from South Korea, but also from China. And he was explaining it's uh, just a terrible situation. I said, let me ask you. And that's, in terms of importing, dumping is when a country basically puts a product into another market for cheaper than it is in their market. and it, the argument is that it's anti-competitive, so that's the term he's saying where, you know, they're just losing, they're putting these in this market, and they're going to eventually put out the United States productions out of business, and eventually they'll be the only game in town. How's the quality? He says, we're better, but they are good enough quality. But, you know, of course he's going to say that, but, you know, they are better. He said, but they don't, they don't allow us. They're dumping these machines. They're cutting us in half. They're killing us. And... On top of it, the government won't, us, won't let us use water in our machines. I mean, he shows me like a quarter of a bottle of water. That's supposed to be washing clothing. And I freed it all up, and I put tariffs on these countries that were selling and the machines coming into the country. And that company went from a, a big, the big, all the washing machine companies, they make washing machines, they make dryers, they make all of the different machines that do this kind of work, including dishwashers. And they went from a disaster area to being just thriving. But they, can I ask They why, love me in that part of Ohio. Well, I, I bet they do. But why should EPA, no one at EPA was elected by anybody. Yeah. Why do they have the power to decide how much water your washing machine uses? Shouldn't Congress in a democracy get to vote on that? 
Yeah, you could say that. Uh, they do things that are not very... So how do you... That's my question. How do you... If you get elected again, go back to Washington, how do you keep the agencies under control? How do you keep FBI and CIA specifically yeah. under control? The way you do it, like I fired Comey, that was a big deal. You know, a lot of people said... And I fired him very early. Somebody said, oh, I wish you would have fired him. There was a real question about firing him anyway. You understand, because, you know, when they have a 10-year term, there is a question. Uh, I fired Comey. That was a great thing. If I didn't fire Comey, maybe I wouldn't be talking to you or I'd be talking to you about real estate or something else other than politics, right? Uh, that was a coup, in my opinion. That was a very sick deal. That was the insurance policy. You remember the insurance policy? Oh, she's going to win, darling. She's going to win. But uh, just in case she doesn't, we have an insurance policy. An insurance policy was what they were doing. And we caught them with that. That was a very important tweet or whatever it was, text. It was a big deal. That was a big deal. The insurance policy. She's going to win 100 million to one. Now, that's not good odds. At least they gave me one, right? 100 million to one. But just in case she doesn't win, we have an insurance policy. And everybody said, that's strange. That's strange. But we caught all that because I fired Comey. Because when I fired Comey, it was like throwing a rock into a hornet's nest into a nest of bees, and the place went crazy. So do, when you were president, do you, are you confident that you knew everything, say, CIA was doing? Around no, I'm not, I'm not. It's, uh, no one knows what it's a doing. very interesting group of people. I had very good relationships, I thought, but I was a little surprised uh, when I got out uh, that, you know, things go on. Look, it's... Uh, what were you surprised by? Uh, I, I was surprised, I think, at some of the people. I was surprised that there was... Uh, I had a group of people. We killed many, using the CIA, I have to say this, bad, very bad actors. We were very good at it. Uh, you look at Soleimani, you look at al-Baghdadi, bigger than Osama bin Laden. I mean, Osama bin Laden, is, but al-Baghdadi did ISIS, and he was rebuilding ISIS very strongly. And that was the CIA and, that did that? Uh, that was really us that did that. Yeah. That was really us that did that. And Soleimani was us that did that, not so much CIA. But we did some very good work with the CIA. But I started, you know, when I looked at the 51 intelligence agents uh, saying that that was the laptop from hell was Russia disinformation, when I took a look at that, I said, that's a horrible thing. They knew it wasn't. They knew it was not. They all swore and by it the wasn't. way, you're talking about cheating on the election? Uh, McLaughlin and Fabrizio, great pollsters. They said a thing like that plus other things meant anywhere from 10 to 17 percent of the vote would change. Whatever happened to Mike Pence? You've always been nice to Pence. I've never heard you criticize Pence. You've defended him in public many, many times. He's out there attacking you. Um, what is that? So Mike wants to run for president. You got to understand, in my opinion, Mike Pence had the absolute right to send the votes back to the legislatures. Uh, the Democrats and everybody said, you don't have the right. In other words, what I said, is he a human conveyor belt? You mean, if he finds fraud in Pennsylvania, in Georgia, in any of these states, Arizona, he has to send them to Mitch McConnell, right? That's right, sir. Well, if he finds fraud, he has to? Yes, sir. I said, so he's just, so he's a conveyor belt. Boom, put him in. I said, I don't agree with that. And we had some lawyers, not all. We had some lawyers that said, no, 
you do have the right to send them back to the legislatures to be rechecked. Because if you looked at what went on in Wisconsin, who, by the way, now agree with me, Wisconsin has been virtually, other than the fact they're not allowed to do anything statutorily, but Wisconsin has been, I mean, what they found is incredible. I mean, we won Wisconsin. But Mike Pence had the right, in my opinion, to send them back. Do you ever talk to him now? Uh, no, I haven't spoken to him in a long time. Uh, I was very disappointed in him. I didn't want to do what Thomas Jefferson did. Thomas Jefferson, it was Georgia. And it was, hear ye, hear ye, the great state of Georgia is not capable or allowed to tabulate their votes. And Thomas Jefferson, who was the vice president, said, is Georgia sure that they cannot tabulate their votes? Georgia is sure. He didn't send them back and have them redo it. He said, we will keep the votes of the great state of Georgia for Thomas Jefferson and his president. I didn't ask him for that. Could have done that too, but I didn't. I thought that would be turmoil. I asked him to send them back to his legislature to the legislatures, you know, in Wisconsin, let's say. But, but why didn't he? I mean, you you worked together for four years. You're the president. He's VP. You're, you say you're aligned on everything. I think he got very bad advice. I, I really do. Now, let me tell you what happened. I sat there with a few people. I think his lawyer was in the room, too. His lawyer was very much against it. There were other lawyers that felt you could do it. It was, it was one of those things. You probably, I think you could have done it. I think you can always do something if you see fraud or if you see problems. But it's very interesting. So after the election was over, the rhinos got together with the Democrats, and they redid the election so you couldn't do it anymore. So then I called the people. I said, so in other words, you're saying I was right. You could do it. Yes, you could do it. In other words, they took the Voting Act, and they redid it so the vice president no longer has the power to do what I said he could do. So when that happened, I said, wow. So, and you know, you'd look some of these Democrats in the eye and they'd say, he has absolutely no right to do it. And immediately after the election, they met rhinos, Kadimumal, and Democrats, and they approved. It's interesting that there's a lot of Republicans who are secretly Democrats, but there's no, there's no Democrats that are secretly Republican. I thought it only goes one way legislation that takes away the right of the vice president to do it. So I said, ah, so you're saying I was right. The vice president did have the right to do it. And they said, yes, he did. So if you're saying they stole it from you last time, why wouldn't they do the same this time? Oh, well, they'll try. They're going to be trying, yeah. But, and not, not only me, you know. Look, uh, DeSantis is out. I think he's got... Again, but that's, that's the big issue. If you, again, I know... There's a lot of questions to be had about the 2020 election in terms of was there enough evidence? What was the percentage of voter fraud? But the data we have now, again, I don't know if there's a box somewhere we don't know about. But again, if it was rigged, how are you going to do it? What are you going to do differently this time? Because if the mechanisms are still in place, then what's like, what's the game plan? I think that that's I think that's what a lot of people are tuning in to hear. Gonzo, he was he was at a level he's. People have figured him out. He's gone. But if somebody else got in other than me, they'll go at him just as viciously as they did me. These people are sick. Uh, they will go after them. And a lot of people say they won't be able to hold up. 
I do get credit for holding up quite well, I must tell you. I think it's... Uh, How do you do that? How do you get indicted, you know, every week and stay I cheerful? It's, uh, I think it, it's a lot easier because I'm, I'm so high in the polls, because it means the people get it. The people see it's a fraud. The people see it, like this horrible district attorney from just a little while ago, from essentially Atlanta, that's Fulton County. She said, basically, I don't have any right to challenge an election. Well, what about Stacey Abrams? What about Hillary Clinton? What about all of these Democrats that are still challenging my election? The same people that are saying, he's challenging an election, challenged my election. And they did it with slates. They did it with all sorts of things. They were very bad, very bad about it. But basically, they're suing me, and they're saying, you don't have any right to challenge it. If you challenge an election, we're going to indict you and put you in jail. So what they're doing is they're really, they've weaponized, and, and don't kid yourself, the DOJ and Biden and the whole group, they're watching all of this stuff. They love the local stuff, you know, the DA in Manhattan. Not only that, they put a one of the DOJ top people into the Manhattan DA's office to run things. They don't even have a case against me. It's not even a case. Everyone says, even the Democrats say, you can't bring these cases. You have no case. The attorney general Still or the uh, district attorney, Fannie, Fannie Willis, in Atlanta, she's getting killed. Basically, she's saying Trump doesn't have the right to, uh, to criticize an election. But you've been around long enough now. You've seen many elections criticized. I mean, Hillary Clinton goes crazy. Every time she talks, she says, he's not the president, Jimmy Carter said. He's not the president. Well, I am the president. Hillary Clinton called me, by the way, at 3.02 in the morning to congratulate me the night of the election. Did her voice crack? Well, her voice was <laughs> it's very different, I will say. I won't get into that. But What do you mean? Her voice was very different. Uh, don't forget, they were all celebrating at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. And I came home and I said, you know, I think we won. I felt we won because the rallies are so big. You know, we'd, have, we'd go to Wisconsin and we'd go to uh, Georgia. We'd go to different states. And Michigan, we'd have rallies. In Pennsylvania, we had 58,000 people in Butler. And I said, you know, how are we losing this? How do you have a rally where you have from 50 to 100,000 people, many of them? You know, I did seven a day for a couple of days. That's a lot. That's a lot. These are big rallies, too. And I didn't hold back. I didn't say, let's make them little, let's do abbreviations, right? But um, but they challenged the stuff. Yeah. Hillary called, called me up and conceded. Now, the word is that Obama said you have to do that. But she called up and totally conceded. But now, you know, every time you see her on television, she's saying, like, well, she's challenging the election. Do, do you think so that would mean that she should be indicted, but that would mean also that Stacey Abrams in Georgia should be indicted because she still thinks she won the election for governor. She still thinks that. She's never But they're recanted. not getting prosecuted. And do I you th think Stacey Abrams will be indicted for that? No, of course not. She won't be. The Democrats don't get indicted for things like that. They don't get impeached. No, it's, it's a different thing. Is, With that being said, yes. I had great support when they did impeachment hoax number one and impeachment hoax number two. Uh, Jim Jordan, the House was fantastic. And actually, the Senate was very good for me, other than, you know, Mitch McConnell. I think if he had, it's too bad I endorsed him. He was begging, he was going to lose that race, and I endorsed him, and he ended up winning the race because of my endorsement. He was down, he was going to lose to Amy McGrath. She was $90 million in cash, all set to go. She was leading by three, he was going down. 
I did him a favor, and then three, four months later, he really wanted to impeach me. Uh, he's a bad guy. But, but uh, if you look at what's going on politically, so interesting, the level of loyalty is different in politics than it is in normal life, I will say. With that being said, I've had great loyalty also. But uh, the House was fantastic. The Senate was very good. You know, they overrode Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell, in my opinion, was trying to get senators to impeach me, especially for the second one. And on the first one, he acted very, very slow. He should have gone much faster. But Mitch McConnell wanted to, and the senators went up to guys that are subservient to him because he gives money. You know, he gives them money. He gives them a lot of money. He raises some money, and he gives it to them, and therefore they do what he said. That's the only form of leadership he's got. So last question. If you're elected president again, what's your top, your number one priority? When you ran last time, you said, I will build a wall. This time, your bottom line top promise to the country. So you can do numerous things at the same time. Of course. But let's say number one is a border and taking hundreds of thousands of criminals that have been allowed into our country and getting them out and bringing them back to their country. Wow. Yes, but I don't know, this would be a good time to drill in, you know, the economy, 40-year hyperinflation. I wouldn't, I mean, that's an important topic, don't get me wrong, but. Guatemala, by the way, not only the four countries that we think of as neighbors, all over the world, last, month we had 149 countries represented think of it we had 149 countries represented tucker from places that many people never even heard of coming into our country and they're coming in from mental institutions and they're coming in from prisons they're emptying out their prisons all over south america they're emptying out their mental institutions terrorists are pouring into our country we have no idea i had the strongest border in the history of our country and i built almost 500 miles of wall. You know, they like to say, oh, was it less? No, I built 500 miles. In fact, if you check with the authorities on the border, we built almost 500 miles of wall. And I had another 200 that I was going to build. You know, it's like water, it seeks. And we're gonna build another 200. We built it, it was all set to go. All they had to do was install it. It would have taken three weeks. And that's when I found out, I said, I think these people actually want open borders. Um, the first thing I would do would be, uh, I would seal up the border good and tight, except for people that want to come in legally. Do you think we're moving towards civil war? There's tremendous passion and there's tremendous love. Uh, you know, January 6th was a very interesting day because they don't report it properly. Uh, I believe it was the largest crowd I've ever spoken before. And you know some of the crowds I've spoken before. And uh, like July 4th on the mall, uh, I think they had a million people there. Uh, but I think that the biggest crowd I've ever spoken before was on January 6th, and people that were in that crowd, a very, very small group of people, and we said patriotically and peacefully, peacefully and patriotically, right? Nobody ever says that. Go peacefully and patriotically. But people that were in that crowd that day, very small group of people, went down there and then you there are a lot of a lot of scenarios that we can talk about but people in that crowd said it was the most beautiful day they've ever experienced there was love in that crowd. there was love and unity i have never seen such spirit and such passion and such love and i've also never seen simultaneously and from the same people such hatred of what they've done to our country 
So do you think it's possible that there's open conflict? We seem to be moving I, I towards don't know. something. I don't know, because I don't know what it, you know, I, I can say this. Uh, there's a level of passion that I've never seen. There's a level of hatred that I've never seen, and that's probably a bad combination. Donald Trump, thank you. Thank you very much. Very much. Thank you. That is a bad combination. By bad way. combination. Thank you. So, pretty darn good interview. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, it certainly seems to be breaking the internet in terms of it's trending on Twitter or now X. I mean, 220 million views in 24 hours. That's astronomical success. It'll be interesting to see. And again, I apologize for not having the picture in picture. Let me know if there's a software that you recommend. I tried a couple, the camera's not working on that. Did thankfully to the feedback, I was able to fix the focus issue. So now should be mostly in focus throughout the whole episode. So thanks to the feedback, I fixed that problem as well. But it'll be interesting to see where they go from here. Now, going on to the business blunder of the day, you have a Boeing 737 MAX has yet another defect. It seems to be a trend because they've had quite some few defects with this particular vehicle. So this is actually from a supplier. They improperly drilled holes into the airplane components that supports the cabin pressure. Now, the Federal Aviation Administration claims that the holes are not a safety threat. However, they are one of several manufacturing flaws that Boeing has recently disclosed. Now, in this case, it almost, even if they say it's not a safety threat, the public perception, just the public perception of hearing, oh yeah, they drilled holes in the airplane where they shouldn't have. That's not going to vote a lot of confidence. So that's, that's hugely going to be detrimental. This is the same airplane model where they're having a myriad of issues actually delivering them on time because of supply chain issues. And of course, some of that is to be taken into account because it's an airplane. It has more components than we could possibly fathom. There are hundreds of thousands of suppliers that give them components because not only does Boeing you know, make some things, but they also rely on other folks, just like the automotive industry, to give them some of the components to make the whole airplane come together. So it'll be interesting to see you know, how many more defects they're going to have and can they stay ahead of the orders that they've been gathering. Because, of course, you know, nowadays, four-year hyperinflation, economic uncertainty, everyone needs to be getting sales. And a lot of these contracts are written, but... A lot of these issues is they're going to get paid upon delivery. And I suspect Boeing is in very much the same case. But to have holes improperly drilled for an airplane, that's definitely not good news. And that is certainly the business blunder of the day. Thank you, everyone, for taking the time to tune in. And again, we're trying to get to 3,000 subscribers by the end of August. If you can click that button, I'd greatly appreciate it. Also, taking the time to like and comment on the video is also appreciated because it helps with the video algorithm. Also, the feedback helps me make the show better and better. Thanks again for tuning in. Don't forget to tell your family, tell your friends, tell your coworkers. Heck, tell your enemies, tell anyone and everyone. Just stay safe and fight the good fight.